Coming up this week, off-screen. The Transformers braced for the last night. Naomi Watts opens the Book of Henry. Edith goes for a walk. We spend some seasons in Quincy. And summer in the forest. Isabel Huppert gets a souvenir. And the graduate returns after 50 years. All those to come and more, off-screen. This is... This is off-screen. Off-screen. Latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. So lots of fun this week, Mr. Allen. But uh, yeah, some things have happened, haven't they? Some things have happened. We've we got to oh start uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yes, or like Atlanta or somewhere where Pinewood. Uh, yeah, I think, actually, yeah, Pinewood, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's Pinewood in London where. Uh, Star Wars Han Solo, whatever the whatever planet is going to be yeah. called. Yeah, it's being Castle made. Run. Yeah, oh, it should Castle just Run. be called Castle, Castle Run. Run. Yeah. So, yeah. go on, give us the news then. What's the right, story? Okay, so this morning news broke uh, from Pinewood that uh, the two directors, Miller and Lord, who brought us a Cloudy Chance of Meatballs, 21 and 22 Jump Street, the Lego movie, all these great <sighs> films, they are leaving the project. And M- midway through midway filming. Through, and it has been filming since the end of January, I believe. Wow. And this has come as a shock, because this never happens. It's come as a shock to them, apparently. Yeah, but just like, uh, yeah, creative differences, I guess. But it seems to be so actual creative a, differences. Yeah, instead of that just being like... <laughs> instead of it just being mm. any old excuse. It is, like, it is actual creative differences. Like, they're big into improv, apparently. Yeah, um, and that has not meshed well with the higher-ups. The higher-ups being, obviously, Kathy Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lawrence Kasdan apparently has had some issues well with them. Well, he's kind of an old hat with the Star Wars franchise, though, isn't he? He was a writer on Empire Strikes Back. and Yes, yeah, so he kind of knows what he's talking and, about. Yeah. 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 And <laughs> obviously wrote The Bodyguard, which we yes. talked about last week. Wrote and produced The Bodyguard, as we discovered last week. Last, last, was last week, forget. But, uh, uh, but that has come out of nowhere. I know. Yeah, this, this never happens. So a film of this scale... I know. a Star Wars film. <laughs> this is, and, and it really sucks. I think everyone was really looking forward to it, and they were a massive part of the reason we were looking forward to it. You know who I feel for right now? Josh Trank. I thought you were going to say it. <laughs> Josh right, Trank's so, looking. People care that this guy got fired, that these guys got fired. <laughs> why but, did no one oh, care what I did? Because fan stick. That's because why, fan Josh, Because fan stick. But uh, yeah, these spin-offs, we've kind of been like a little bit mired in uh, mm. scandal, yeah, haven't they? So obviously Josh Trank, he was supposed to be, well, allegedly doing the Boba Fett standalone, yep, yep. and then fan stick came out, and that kind of put Bombed, the kamash yeah. on that. Uh, obviously Rogue One wasn't without its share of issues as well, but mm-hmm. actually it ended up being pretty great at the end and of course we've got Ryan Johnson's uh, episode 8 this year The Last Jedi yeah which we've not said anything negative about seems it just seems to be good. Yeah. yeah pretty like smooth sailing and then of course uh, two years from now we have uh, episode 9 which doesn't have a title yet which presumably be uh, The Return of The Last Jedi and mm. uh, that will be directed <laughs> by Colin Trevorrow who brought us Jurassic World and of course our first review of the week which is The, the Book, Book of, of Henry. Henry that was 
Oh, it was like we planned that. I know. Oh, do you yeah, know in our segue? Yeah, for an off-the-cuff, that was pretty inspired, wasn't mm. it? So, Book of Henry, which is the first film Contrevo has done since Jurassic World. Yeah. And he's he's co-written and is producing Jurassic World's sequel, I think, at the moment. Yes, yeah, so J.A. Uh, J. Bayona? Oh, is, he, is he... Or Bayona? Juan? Or, I, can't remember I don't know. He just goes as J.A. J.A. now. Okay. Mm. So, uh, this, is, this is based on novel the same name. The idea is you've got a young boy genius, Henry... Played by uh, Jacob Tremblay. No, oh, no, 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 oh, no, no. I'm, I'm just trying to find the name of the actor. Jacob Tremblay is the younger brother. Ah, Jacob Tremblay is not a star. I don't know that much about this film. Ah, please allow me to enlighten you. Okay, so, I thought that he was Henry because he's so, yeah. Jaden Lieberher plays Henry, and uh, Henry has a book. Hence the clever title, the in which he writes, yeah, he writes all his clever little theorems. He is a boy genius. He runs the finances for his family. He is 11 years old. He's a boy genius like you would like he's out of the movie Gifted, almost. Hmm. And, uh, you know, he's built up a stock portfolio for his single mother, who is also a, a diner waitress, played by Naomi Watts. Hmm. She works in the diner, incidentally, with a uh, tattooed, trashy, trampy Sarah, Sarah Silverman. Silverman. Yeah. Which you don't see coming. And uh, the idea is... Henry has started started to suspect that the police commissioner who lives next door, played by Dean Norris from Breaking Bad, so Hank from Breaking Bad... Oh, Hank, Hank Schrader. Yes. yes. ...is uh, behaving in an unseemly manner towards his uh, his niece, his, sorry, his stepdaughter, hmm. whom he's raising alone. Okay. That uh, dark goings-on are going on, as so, it were. Yeah, so far, so lovely bones. So far, so lovely bones. Yes. Henry then dies suddenly. And his younger brother, played by Jacob Tremblay from Room, and his mother, Naomi Watts, um, find his book. They're told to go and find the red book. And Sorry, it's actually just Naomi Watts. The, the brother is told to tell Naomi Watts to do this. In the book is a calculated plan for how to prove and murder Dean Norris's paedophile police commissioner. Yeah. Here's a clip that's going to very quickly establish the problem with that and this film. Our legacy isn't what we write on a resume or how many commas we have in our bank account. It's who we're lucky enough to have in our lives and what we can leave them with. The one thing we do know, we're here now. So I say we do the best we can while we're on this side of the dirt. And that's what I think about my legacy. Because it's better for my psychosocial development for me to interact with a peer group in a normal school environment. Oh, yeah. Actually, he plays it a lot. Have you ever watched Scorpion, the TV series Scorpion? Uh, yes. The main the female lead has a young son. Uh, played very oh, similar okay. way. Yeah. yeah, played in a very very similar fashion. Uh, the school teacher, <laughs> by the way, is uh, Jolene Hughes from Rocky Balboa. You know the sort of would be love interest. Mm. Yeah, just, uh, the one That's, I keep. I that, keep. It's a good film. It is. I feel like it was a bit overlooked when it came out. Whenever I see Jolene Hughes, though, I always think it's Emma, it's Emily Watson. And yeah. you can sort of see why you'd make that mistake, but never mind. Okay, so, uh, right, where to begin with this one? It is a tonal disaster. Mm. It is just so ramshackle. As in, this is a cutesy twee movie about murder and paedophiles and child death, as you do. Yeah, just from looking at the poster when it came out a couple of months ago, that's what I thought it was. Okay. Not not that any murders or deaths or anything were involved. I just cutesy thought, and twee. Yeah, I thought but it was something more it along the lines like, of, like, safety not guaranteed. It was his first big film but broke him. That exactly, got him yeah. Jurassic World. And then you, you came to... I mean, there's a sequence in this film in which 
the, the central murder is being staged, as it were. I mean, mm. without going into sport territory, there is a sequence in which the murder is being staged, the setup for it is being laid out, for, and it is cross cut, it's dark and creepy, and it is cross cut with this oh so cutesy scene of Jacob Tremblay performing an onstage magic act involving his dead brother. And you watch this and just think, I have no idea how anyone sat in a room, heard this, and thought, that is a movie we have to make. What, so there's a corpse on stage? No, I'm, no. I'm just going to leave it there. And, right. and just You have to see it. Side it, note, corpse on stage, great name for another film. It, well, great name for a band, actually. Corpse on stage. Yeah, great. Corpse on stage. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Please welcome to the stage, corpse on corpse. stage. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, performances, though, are great. This is the way for Naomi Watts on fine form as she's ever been. Uh, Sarah Silverman makes her actually quite a likeable sort of supporting role. Jacob Tremblay deserves a bigger role than he's got here. I think that kid is great. Yeah, I, I, think, so great. I think we're going to see him uh, more in Wonder. I think we've, we've I got, think we've got will, that. Yeah. To, to look forward to. Uh, by the way, the manager of the diner uh, that Sarah Silverman and uh, Naomi Watts works at, Bobby Moynihan. Oh, no way. Saturday Night Live, yeah. yeah. Or no longer from Saturday Night Live. No longer from Saturday Night Live, just left. Um, But that's it. And you've got uh, Lee Pace is in this very underserved role, a sort of thankless role that really doesn't need to be there. But, of course, it's all about uh, Jaden Lieberher as as Henry. And for obvious reasons to do with the narrative and the fact that the character can't be around for at least half the movie, um, he he gets a lot to do in that time. Mm. But the problem is the pacing of the film feels like it's dragged out the, his screen time far too much. So, but I mean, the plot doesn't properly then start in, unless it's an hour, until it's an hour into this near two hour film, and it's okay. We're racing towards the end now. You know when a plan has to get underway, and you know that you're ten minutes from the end of the runtime. Yeah, and you know it has to go right first time then because it's ten minutes before the end of the runtime. Meet that film, and Michael Giacchino kind of wasted on the score. I was I was very disappointed in that. But again, but, he's so, got some big things coming up. He's got this big year. things to come. He's got a certain uh, man spider. He's got a man spider, yeah. yeah. But it is just a tonal disaster. For the moments that it goes for the Little Miss Sunshine kind of kids from Jumanji, almost ambling <laughs> steak, those work. All um, the little twee moments. The twee uh, moments yeah. work. And you know, the darker stuff works. The problem is when you hop from one to the other as this does, you're left thinking, I don't get how anyone thought yeah, these two things worked. We literally had a conversation before Transformers on Tuesday morning in which we are grown men, bear in mind. Mm. We were laughing ourselves senseless trying to discuss this film. So bear in mind, this is obviously completely different to what Star Wars is going to be for him. Yeah. How does this make you feel about Episode Nine? I'm going in with great trepidation to Episode Nine as a result of Bear in mind, you did really enjoy Jurassic World. You I did, it more yeah. for me. I did. I, yeah. I, I liked it. I really liked it, but... Hmm. We shall see. We shall see. Discussions are being had in the, in, in the Geek Circle. But, uh, so let's plug uh, the podcast and the competitions before we cut to the yeah. break. We'll is is to, the Geek uh, Circle like the Magician's Circle? You've it, got to be invited exactly. in and... No, it's easier to get into the Geek Circle. You just... Uh, you need, like, a Loot Crate subscription. You just need a Loot Crate subscription yeah. and uh, and a, a, a group T-shirt. Oh, okay, yeah. Group, I've, group I've, got two, I've got two group shirts. So yeah, fine, you're good, yeah. you're good. I'm, good. I'm, I'm in, I'm in. We'll get you a month of Loot Crate. You'll be nice. fine. Uh, right, so podcast. If you want the extended podcast edition, pop along to uh, the on-screen website, onscreenfilm.com, uh, iTunes, uh, Deezer, TuneIn, or Acast, where you get mm-hmm. the digital bling, which is always fun. Uh, we have also, if you go along to onscreenfilm.com, got a juicy competition this week as well we're giving away copies of do you remember zip and zap and the marble gang i do because how do you forget Get that, that title, title. <laughs> spanish language goonies mm. the best way to describe it spanish language goonies meets harry potter and a lot of fun so you need if you've not seen it you need to see it get onto onscreenfilm.com yeah, you can see it for free you can see it for free yeah go on and stick your details in the competition side and you know 
win the chance to see it yourself. And you know what? I think you'll thank us for having seen it. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen. The On Screen Radio Show. And we're back. You've not heard the RoboCop one yet, have you? No, I enjoyed that very much. I thought you might. So uh, let's talk about a film we've both uh, seen previously in our lives that has been reissued this week. It has, because uh, it's the uh, 50th anniversary, I believe. Can you believe The Graduate is 50 years old? Dustin Hoffman doesn't look a day over 71. We only lost Mike Nichols recently, didn't we? Yeah, it was a few years ago. Yeah, only a couple of years back. Mm. But wow. Okay, so The Graduate. Do you know what? You never get to do this. Do, Do the plot of The Graduate for us. You've put me very much on the spot. It's been a while since I've seen it. <laughs> there's Dustin it, Hoffman, there's Mrs. Robinson. Yeah, the, the graduate is Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> He's not in his Captain Hook regalia. <laughs> He's um, young back then he, he as gets, well. He gets seduced by an older lady. See, so he gets seduced by his, his girlfriend's mum, as it were. Yes. And uh, this then you know, sets, you know, unravels his entire life, as it were, this affair. Mm. And, uh, and then Simon and Garfunkel sing a song about it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tell you what, <laughs> if you've not seen it, you should have seen it. Here's a clip. Haven't you ever seen anybody in a slip before? Yes, I have, but I just... Look, what if Mr. Robinson walked in right now? What if he did? Well, it would look pretty funny, wouldn't it? Don't you think he trusts us together? Of course he does, but he might get the wrong idea. Anyone might. I don't see why. I'm twice as old as you are. How could anyone think that? But they would, don't you see? Benjamin, I am not trying to seduce you. I know that, but please, Mrs. Robinson, this is difficult. Would you like me to seduce you? What? Is that what you're trying to tell me? I'm going home now. I apologize for what I said. I hope you can forget it, but I'm going home right now. I think most young boys, when they see The Graduate, want Anne Bancroft to, to be seducing them as well. Um, so it is one of the most iconic films ever made, really, I think. Would, mm. you, would you go so far as that? It oh, is absolutely. Musically, it's, one, it's one, probably the earliest film I can remember being as regarded for its pop soundtrack as the actual film. Yeah. And because of when this is, what, 67... That's got to be the earliest one on, on record for that. No one really talked about the, the pop music side of things before I don't know if it's the earliest, but it definitely helped define the era. This is, this is where Absolutely. soundtracks became a thing. I think this is where it started. You do, you do hear that song and you instantly think of the film. Also, Even when I hear like the Lemonheads version of the song, I still just think of the film. It's true. I mean, this yeah. is the original May to December romance. This is yeah. uh, you know, this is the, yeah. the star making turn for for Dustin Hoffman. I also think about his car as well. The yes, red convertible. Yeah, most of us who own convertibles now always yeah. think of the Graduate when we drive through tunnels. Mm. Put it that way. <laughs> Which is not that. There's, it's, it's a film. Oh, I love that bit as well, where the yeah. sound just cuts out do, and then do, comes do, back. Do, 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 do. <laughs> and then back. <laughs> But that's it's, genius. It's become the source of so many great moments of comedy over the years. Oh, we've Spoon been eight by so many people. We were talking about Wayne's World, obviously. And the Simpsons. And the Simpsons and Mrs. Bouvier. And Cassandra. <laughs> uh, you know what's great? Being married to someone called Cassandra. It's very true, isn't it? Um, yeah. Didn't I threaten to do that at your wedding? I'm sure I, think I did. so, yeah. Many times <laughs> I've... There were big glass windows. I, I, I think I threatened to just go just and stand go, behind Cassandra. them. And... Yeah, many, many times I've said, and her name was Cassandra. <laughs> yeah, we did that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah your, well, your wife very politely asked me not to do that, by the way. Yeah. But I offered, and she was not <laughs> receptive polite, to the she idea. Politely <laughs> she politely declined. She politely declined. So, yeah, The Graduate, it, it's, on, it's always on a lot of best of lists. If you're looking at, you know, best films ever kind of list. A lot of people do put it in there. And when you see the film again now, it's shocking how much the film hasn't really dated. I mean, the, the, the subject matter of it still holds up. Mm. It's actually, weirdly, it's one of those films that's so entrenched in cultural DNA that one question I found myself wondering, uh, having watched it, was 
What did what was the term we used before Mrs. Robinson? To describe to describe old, a yeah. sexy older woman, we now say Mrs. Robinson. Because when the Fifty Shades sequel came out, we were just she's saying, called Mrs. Robinson. Yeah. yeah, is she actually called Mrs. Robinson? She's actually that? called Mrs. Robinson. Well, that yeah. just shows how, like, how yeah, yeah. But you should think what what was the term before that? Was there one? We always just yeah, we do say Miss Robinson. It's like it's like it's like a shorthand, isn't it? It is. It is. Older, older lady. So, do you think it's a film that deserves to be seen by everyone? Because that's that's my belief. Stop listening to us. Go watch it right now. (laughs) Exactly. Fair enough. And then go crash a wedding. Think of Crash Wedding, yeah, exactly. And then do sit, it like a and then sit in the car with the would be bride, and then look like you've done the best thing. But then actually, have we done the best thing? And then just drive off. Yes, what a very pensive ending. I actually. love that ending. Yeah, it, it is strange how if you've not seen it, completely spoiled it. Well, you, you've, had just, fi- you've had fifty years. You've had fifty years. Just yeah. go and see the Graduate, and and then if, you, give, <laughs> if it's your first time, come out of it afterwards and wonder why were you wasting your life not watching it in the first place. In the meanwhile, give me some film news, case. What you got? me uh okay our last piece from news was shocking this was shocking even though it's technically happened three times before okay so down there lewis he's just quit acting okay yeah this is not the first time that he's just said has he actually quit quit, or is he just gonna like put on a rubber mask and pretend to be a different actor so that he has the challenge of rebuilding um, his career uh, miles teller yeah that's it he's been miles teller all along and he's been trolling us that's the gag Mm. But that's fine. Or, or maybe suddenly we'll see Miles Teller just be great. <laughs> if we see Jai Courtney winning an Oscar in the next five years, we know why. <laughs> that would finally explain yeah. Jai Courtney. Jai Courtney is not a thing. Stop trying to make him a thing unless Daniel Day-Lewis is behind the thing. That's fine. That's it, yeah. In a remake but, of um, the thing. This... <laughs> we don't need any more. We don't. We don't need a fourth thing. We don't no, need... actually true, yeah. we don't. That took me a second to just count the things. I, I, yeah, because I forgot about the original as well. Yeah, then. the thing from outer space. I thought yeah. 81. One or eighty two, sorry, and yeah. then uh, the JC. prequel, yeah. and then yeah, okay, yeah. But uh, this seems to be the most official quitting he's ever done because okay. there's been a statement from his people just saying it's a private thing. I'm just going to go pursue other stuff. Last, have last time he did did this, he went to go he went to go learn something weird like how to make shoes or that, something that like that, and that was in makes the, sense. That was in the late nineties. I'm going to look it up. Uh, for the podcast sections, but he just like went to just. To be fair, it was it, a bit like in Master of None, yeah. where Aziz is just like, "I'm going to go to Italy and just learn how to make pasta." Well, it absolutely, it's sounds just, like Daniel like Day Lewis, doesn't it? Absolutely, yeah. If Daniel Day Lewis said to you one day, "Well, I'm going to take five years off because I want to learn how to master the loom," you'd absolutely you'd be like, believe sure. that. You'd be like, "Okay, sure." Not, but not then so. he would come back in ten years in a film about a master master loomsman <laughs> master loomsman I was like Lumiere <laughs> <laughs> no that's you and McGregor ah oui oui terrible what is your favourite uh, Dan Lewis performance because I mean it's weird to say how long he's been acting for how few films he's actually been in right this, this if might you on be. his IMDb it's like less than 30 or something it is like actually yeah, surprisingly quite, quite small this might shock you my favourite Daniel Day Lewis performance you're not going to say nine are you no no it's the first one I ever saw him the first one I remember seeing Daniel Day-Lewis in and it's My Left Foot I love him in that movie that's it's a great film thing. and she's amazing as well the lady that is in Home Alone 2 as well I forgot her name she, oh, she, she won an Oscar for it yeah, yeah. and that, that was a really big surprise thing when she also won an Oscar <laughs> but uh, right so okay uh, let's do uh, the box office top 5 for the week then because uh, well there's some films to discuss oh, just hang about I was okay. going to say my, my favourite oh, I'm sorry, sorry. Yeah, give me your favourite yeah. uh, I don't actually know uh, well thanks for that case <laughs> let's let's say Gangs of New York Gangs of New right, York right now just okay. I, I think yeah that's fair it's got Leo as well so two top talents yeah but his, his bill is 
pretty menacing. It is a bit. It is a bit. So, top five? Let's do top five. Number five. Oh, yes. Uh, Churchill the dog, apparently. <laughs> Wouldn't you love it if it was a movie about uh, about a bulldog just called Churchill? But, <laughs> yeah, uh, really as it is, it is uh, you know Brian Cox doing the character drama version mm. of uh, of Churchill, and the problem with it is it's all very unsurprising. It's exactly the movie you expect you're going to get, and it's no, it's nothing more, it's nothing less. But you come away from it thinking just. Just just one shot that I didn't see coming would have really been something. Mm. I can see how it has gotten to number five, because obviously there is going to be an innate audience. And I think there's an age factor in there as well that, that should be looked at, you know, that should be considered, because it is obviously going to appeal to a certain age. That it's come about that it was released in time for you know the Veterans Day, and for that I can't help but think that's been very specific as well. So I feel like in a week where the box office is actually quite low, mm. that makes sense as to why that would come in so high. The performance is are terrific though I just don't think the writing's that great number four it's hanging in there Baywatch baby yeah oh I love it and it's, it's not of, very yeah. well in other places. It's not so America. much. But yeah, people but seem to be kind of enjoying it. This is oh, it. Yeah. Baywatch was always more popular in the UK than the US. It's very, very strange. I mean, it had a primetime <laughs> slot on ITV on a Saturday. Saturday, 5.30 yeah. or something. Yeah, it had like yeah. that late afternoon slot. And, uh, and then it was always on like first thing in the morning as it, well. Weird, I know, I know. Yeah. It's because its storytelling sensibility lent itself naturally to people at 8am. But, uh, <laughs> you know... <laughs> when you've but just woken up. When um, you've just woken up. Yeah. Here's, here, here's attractive people in red swimsuits. And to be fair, the film sends that up brilliantly. Um, I, I laughed a minute. I literally laughed every minute of this film. Um, I was entertained. I thought the performances were a lot of fun. Uh, it wanders off a little bit at the end of the second act, don't get me wrong. But it's got so much going for it. There's a lot of fun with the, the villain. Priyanka Chopra is a great menacing female villain who gets some amazingly sort of meta depth in a weird way. Just there's a level of I'm you know what I'm going to be as fun a villain as I can because I'm a woman and she she goes as far as actually saying that mm. and you think wow okay you really thought on this and fair enough but of course you know DJ's your lead the rock's in charge and when is he not so much fun number three. Even if you don't enjoy these films, you must love them. <laughs> you really must. <laughs> Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, uh, uh, Salazar's Revenge, or Dead Men Telling Our Tales, or The Search for Jack's Gold, or oh, Where's All the Rum Gone, or... That would have been a way better subtitle. Where's All the Rum Gone. Yeah. Pirates 5, nobody asked for this. Yeah. <laughs> Pirates 5, Johnny needs to pay some bills. Mm. Uh, right, and the problem is the film does feel like that. The film really does feel like you are appeasing an accountant. Yeah. And it's about as entertaining as appeasing an accountant. <laughs> it's like you've gone around your account house he's asking you to do do his dishes for you for him you know and that's how you're working off your bill that that's pretty much what johnny depp's doing here and it feels like it all the way through there's something so workmanlike about it it's more memorable than the fourth one was but nobody remembers the fourth one i remember that ian mcshane is in it and he has a black beard because he's playing Blackbeard. Do you remember? And Sam Claflin's in it as well. And there's mermaids, evil yeah. mermaids. I remember that. Do you remember that the fourth film had as an integral plot point the idea that Penelope Cruz was going around disguised as a fake Jack Sparrow? Yes. I had forgotten had that. Had you forgotten that? How do you I forget thought... that? Exactly. I think that's pretty memorable. No, I, well, can't be that memorable. I forgot it for five years. But you, so... see, you see a lot of films. You see more films than me. Yeah, true. But Yeah. And yeah. I've, I've got, like, empty brain space so I can remember... 
a mustachio. Dude, I've, I've, seen, I've seen the movie Monster Trucks once, and I can pretty much recite that script to you. I somehow <laughs> forgot s- this. Stay tuned, podcast extras. <laughs> podcast extras. <laughs> He's going to do the Rob Lowe performance. Anyway. <laughs> but no, Pyrus, if you're a fan of the series, you're going to be a fan of this, naturally, because it's no better or worse, particularly. Um, if, like me, and I think you, you only think the first one's really any good, then... Yeah, say why. Number two. No! There he is. The Mummy, or Tom Cruise's The Mummy. <laughs> Tom Cruise's I think mummy. this has been referred to as. Oh, this has taken some heat. Do you, know, mean, wow. do you know who is laughing right now? Uh, Brennan Fraser. Yeah. Literally laughing. He Literally put it laughing. on Instagram, didn't he? Yeah. A meme of himself laughing at the Rotten Tomatoes. What a guy. Fair play, Brendan. Do you know what? All these years... My, my favourite... GIF on the internet is uh, the one of Brendan Fraser at the Golden Globes where he can't clap. Yes, I know. <laughs> and obviously, because this is a podcast slash radio show, you won't be able to see me doing it. But he just <laughs> does this thing where he yeah. just completely misses one of his hands. Well, you know what? Come back, come back, Brenny. All's forgiven. Yeah, you could, um, you could do nothing as bad as this movie is. I've still not seen it. I'm going to see it just to see what all the hype. The first is hour, the setup is actually really good. Really well done. As uh, soon as they introduce Prodigium, which is the cinematic universe building element, and so then they shield, shield, yeah. and then they forget what the hell to do, what the hell they want to do with the Tom Cruise character, and they decide, you know what, we have other films we need to set up. Then believe me, this very quickly dies a death. And just like its title character, it simply will not stay dead. It teeters along mm. to the very end, and apparently, there's more to come. God help us. Number one. Which we really should use as a button. <laughs> we should. So um, get me to sing it. Funny story, Warner Brothers have claimed that in light of Wonder Woman, mm. their previous films may have been too dark. Possibly. <clears throat> it was yeah, nice to that. see colours. It was nasty because it was nice to actually smile at one of these mm. movies and be engrossed in the characters. There were jokes. Um, and jokes. There were jokes. I didn't think... The, you know, there were jokes where Princess Buttercup on horseback. Why, when you ass. say there were jokes, does it sound like the best friend from the wedding singer saying, There were cones! <laughs> I love that guy. We hit two cones. There were cones! <laughs> there were jokes. Yeah. But yeah, I loved Wonder Woman. I was a big fan. Yeah, I uh, I really loved it. and I, you, I want there to be more. I want Patty Jenkins to direct more things. She has signed on to the sequel officially she officially, She's officially, officially signed on. I did see that she was writing the second one with uh, Jeff Johns from DC. What who's, he's kind of... He's not like Kevin Feige, but he is... As close as. As close as, I think. He's, he's one of, like, the top brass. So you'd recommend Wonder Woman? To everyone. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. if you've got it from Case, you've also got it from me. Go see Wonder Woman. <laughs> With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back in dancing. Although, um, right, we've got one more film, and then I'm sorry we won't be mm. da- we won't be dancing after that. I'm afraid, case because we're going to review Transformers shortly. Uh, right, so souvenir, yes, which I've got to talk about. This one sort of came out of nowhere. Actually, it didn't actually officially pressure. They actually had to send us special locked links for this one because no pressure Ooh. whatsoever. Now, that's usually a sign of a bad movie. And in this case, no, it's not at all. Oh, I thought it was going to be a double bluff. In this case, <laughs> it is bang on. Right. <laughs> so this is by uh, Bavo de Fern, written and directed by Bavo de Fern, whose body of work I'm not familiar with offhand. Uh, right, it stars Isabelle Huppert and uh, Kevin Azay. Now, given that it stars Isabelle Huppert, you would have expected this to have a lot more fanfare, wouldn't you? Because it's mm. Isabelle Huppert. 
but it doesn't. And right, here's your plot. You've got a, a sort of forgotten pop star. Mm. She's, it's a French movie. She's a forgotten pop star. She works in a factory. She makes ready meals. Right, on the factory floor, you know, hair, net, rubber gloves. And uh, they make ready meals. She is an ex-pop star who actually represented France in Eurovision. Wait right. a minute, Eurovision is part of this. Eurovision is part of this. She represented France in Eurovision and lost because guess who won that year? Us. ABBA. <gasps> she lost to ABBA. Right. In the years since, obviously, you know, she's been cast out and she's been cast out of the, out of the limelight. She's had to become like a, a regular everyday person. And one day... Is one it, of, is it, sorry, is this kind of like based on a real person then? Uh, actually, no, I don't believe so. Just kind of like just fabricated just it. Fabricated it, oh, yeah. So yeah, carry on. Right. She, uh, she, one day, she's noticed by one of her male co-workers, a younger, a younger guy that she works with, who's an aspiring boxer. And he sort of recognises, oh, are you that famous pop star? She says, no. Here you are. You look just like her. I remember you. And then he sees her on a sort of a retrospective nostalgia TV show one mm. night and he persuades her to stage a low level comeback and basically rebuild her shattered confidence and uh, in, in the process of course feelings develop and a, a May to December romance soon blooms between Mrs Robinson and a would-be boxer because we've not had enough Mrs <laughs> Robinson this week and um, right it, it's, a, it's a fairly humdrum fairly very twee commonplace average it feels strangely British actually mm. a, a movie but it's really elevated by the fact that Kevin Aze is quite likeable. And Isabelle Huppert, as who you rightly claimed as the French Meryl Streep, mm. or let's call her Les Meryl Streep. <laughs> Streep, eh? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Strupp. Meryl Strupp. Meryl Strupp. No. Meryl Strupp. Um, let's, let's move on. This bit is not working. <laughs> but uh, she, she absolutely owns this. She, mm. she elevates it to a whole other level. I mean, if you, you feel like if she were anybody else... It just wouldn't quite work. I think mm. uh, maybe maybe Kristen Scott Thomas could have pulled it off, but that's about it. She can speak French. She can. Yeah, she's but in... Uh, what was that French one she did? I really enjoyed. Uh, in the House. In the House? Yeah. Yes. I also like Don her Maison. in... Uh, I also like her in Amour. That's, that's my personal yeah. favourite. But uh, terrible, terrible De Palma remake. Anyway. Um, but uh, she elevates it to a whole new level. She can also really, really carry a tune. She can mm. sing. Really? Uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't think she's got real real singing chops here, but uh, it is definitely worth a look. It's uh, it, it's not too challenging for me. It's very by the numbers for what it is, but you do think that that performance just takes it up five notches. Doesn't even take it up a notch. Takes it up five. Yeah. It is a great performance. How many notches are there like available? There are ninety six notches. Case <laughs> each more notchy than the last. Yes, <laughs> each requiring a new level of skill in the field of cinematography, performance, and uh. production. <laughs> <laughs> in, the, in the field of notchery. So I I do have some film news. Right, I, what you got I, I am going to abstain. You're going to abstain? Yeah, okay. because I can see you literally frothing at the mouth to talk about Transformers The Last Night. Okay, go for so it. So I am going to let you just just go for it. You just so let me go for... I'm, okay. I'm going to sit here. I've got I've got my coffee. I'm, I've got some popcorn down here. No one else can Okay, see. so we're, gonna, we're doing this. We, we are, are doing this. We are doing this. Right, we're doing this. Okay. Let's just let's just take a moment silence. Just just hold on. Let me actually have a sip of this coffee. We're gonna have a moment silence. <clears throat> what the hell is anybody thinking in the making of this movie? I mean, seriously, Re- this this is a thing. Okay, so Transformers uh, The Last Night, which is uh, the fifth in this yeah. de- now decade-long Transformers series. Um, <laughs> really a decade? It's been a decade. It's wow. 2007 this started. Michael it, Bay it, has it now directed... Like, it feels like three. Yep. Michael Bay has now directed all of these. 
This is the fifth one. And Apparently the uh, last one for him. Last one for Wahlberg as well. And it kind of feels like it, because Wahlberg's kind of checked out. Yeah. Uh, Bay's delivering nothing more than he ever has before. And uh, wouldn't you know it, he leaves it until his last go, his fifth time around, to finally, finally include what, in Michael Bay's mind, is a fully developed, well-rounded female character and an actually compelling story element. Right. So the idea this time around is Katie Yeager, the world's most hilariously named inventor, is now a fugitive living in the Arizona Badlands, where he is basically providing safe harbour for the Autobots on Earth. You see, in the sort of two years since Optimus Prime shot off into space to go and find his creators, that, yep. which was the I end of the last one, mm-hmm. cue the Imagine Dragons song, um, after that... Earth declared all Transformers, and this is the quote, illegal. Except for Cuba. Didn't we do that in another one as well? Did we do it in the third I one? Francis McDormand? I don't know anymore. I don't know. And don't They're ask all kind me. They're together. Yep. Don't ask me to tell you the mythology. I just know one of them had John Malkovich in. Anyway, <laughs> I remember <laughs> that, that was the same very one, I think, tan yeah. John Malkovich. Mm. Right. So. They're illegal everywhere except Cuba, where John Turturro cameos, be- actually in Cuba as oh. well, because I'm just going to go out and let him guess that Michael Bay the owns Jesus. a holiday home there. I would presume so. Right. Yeah. And, and he's communicating with someone, and he's helping the Transformers from afar. Right. right. You have a team okay. called the TRF, which is like the Transformers Revenge Force or Retaliation Force, something like that, which is led by Josh Dumel, who used to be their friend but isn't for some reason, but he's also an undercover soldier for the CIA, who's trying to find a weapon that the Decepticons are trying to find, and to do this they have to bargain with the Decepticons to actually release some imprisoned Decepticons so that the other Decepticons can find the weapon, and the TRF led by the undercover agent from the CIA and the military, can then beat the Decepticons to the weapon and capture the weapon. Right, are you with me so far? Just about. Just about. (laughs) Right, right. This this is ten minutes of screen time, by the way. In the meanwhile, you have this opening that's uh, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, and it turns out that Merlin's a fraud, and he's got transform... His magic is actually transformer technology. Sorry, I fell asleep, and then you said Merlin. Yeah, yeah. okay. Played by Stanley Tucci, and he's... Yeah, okay. Tucci was in the last one, wasn't he? The Tucci was in the last one, as a different (laughs) character, who is in no way related... Yeah. I thought he was just the same guy. No, 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 wait, 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 hang on. Because... Merlin and anyone related to him actually becomes a plot point. Now remember that when I tell you that Stanley Tucci is playing Merlin and played a different character in the last movie in the present day. Because you would think, wouldn't you, that that's a logical through line. Right. In the meanwhile, a piece of Merlin's Transformers technology finds its way in the present day into the hands of Mark Wahlberg, who is, of course, a fugitive and looking after the Autobot. The piece of technology is a coin which then latches itself to his body and forms this sort of organically shifting bio-armor thing, which apparently signals him to be um, the one beacon that can connect the Transformers to the missing staff of Merlin that can then summon the weapon that can uh, destroy Cybertron or Earth or, I don't know, make popcorn or something. Mm. And in the meanwhile, it will also connect him to an English lord played by Anthony Hopkins and an Oxford history professor played by Laura Haddock because that's what Michael Bay thinks an Oxford academic looks like a sex pot in hipster glasses and a pencil skirt and the, the three of them together will team up with a robot butler and answer the question why is it the Transformers keep coming to Earth in the first place here's a clip of the meeting for the first time I'm awfully sorry about that but um, you see he thinks it's still 1918 or 1940 did you really? Robot dementia. Oh. Not at 
too pretty. Will you drag me to some transformer retirement home? Mm-hmm. Look, somebody better start talking. I'm out of here. Yes, but you want to know, don't you, dude? Why they keep coming here to Earth? Right. I do so love perfect timing. Little lady, no! So is this a kidnapping sort of situation or her first Transformer experience? It's both, really. She's very difficult! Did Hannibal Lecter just call someone dude? Yes. Yes, he did. You've got my money. I'm going to I'm going to no, say no, this, no, no, this no, 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 don't. Just <laughs> don't. Um, our mutual friend Greg contacted me this morning, having read my written review of this film. We were embargoed until uh, one minute past midnight mm. last night, certainly. And he read the review, he texted me and said, you know what, I've read your review, and I'm still just I'm morbidly curious to see this. And I went, no, exactly. no, yeah. don't. I went, it, it really, it, it doesn't even work on that level. However, how, as bad as it is, and it is unbelievably bad, mm. It is infinitely more enjoyable than the last one. Now, what they've got this time around is this whole national treasure storyline, where Laura Haddock and Mark Wahlberg are zipping around London and famous museums, and unlocking pieces of history that tie to the Transformers mythology. And that actually, that very works. briefly, threatens to become entertaining. Mm. The problem is, you know, for every ten seconds of that that you get, you get a full-blown minute of what can only be described as R-rated humour for children. <laughs> If you can imagine such a thing. And then, you know, smashy, crashy car chases and robots, robot butlers singing uh, ludicrous songs, which, again, doesn't make any sense, but here we are. Um, It is one of the worst movies of this year, hands down. It goes on for two hours and I think 24 minutes. So it will feel like six days. It is the second shortest Transformers movie. What was the longest? The longest, I think, is... Either Age of Extinction or Dark of the Moon. One of them clocks in at two and three quarter hours. I mean, they both feel particularly long. I yeah. definitely fell asleep watching the fourth one. The, the one with Frasier. Yeah, that's or the Michael fourth Sagram, one. Yeah. yeah, I think I, I think I left that screen. I saw it a second time with you because I thought it can't we be. We were in the IMAX. Yeah. Yes, I remember that. And I just left halfway through. Mm. I can't do this. I'm I remember that that nap was particularly good. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really enjoyed sleeping. So <laughs> where to begin? Uh, right. So um, for once, the fact that it doesn't care about real world logic is rivaled by the fact that it doesn't care about its own internal logic. Mm. Uh, its characters make stupid decisions that don't make any sense. Uh, it has no sense of geography. It has no sense of scale. It has no sense of coherence. Uh, pacing is all over the place. It's one of the worst written tent poles you've seen since, I don't know, Man of Steel? Uh, not Man of Steel, Batman Superman. Um, there are entire character subplots in this that literally amount to three lines of dialogue spread over a near three-hour movie. Um, there is that whole ma- mass-marketed uh, Furious 8 thing with the good guys, now the bad guy thing, literally amounts to... Yeah, we, we were comparing that to Dom Toretto, yeah, weren't we? No, yeah. Well, the same thing this time with Optimus Prime. It is five minutes of screen time, 20 minutes before the end of the film. Right. Um, and I will say this, if you have even a basic cursory knowledge of the animated lineage of Transformers or the toy line or anything like that, there is a plot development in this film that exists purely to set up the future cinematic universe that will have you desperate to take a power drill to your own temples. I test it. I mean, I, I want to talk more about it in the podcast, actually. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure, but we will. But this is supposedly the last one for Bay, last one for Wahlberg, like I just said, but not the last... Transformers film. No, Bumblebee is next, and this movie literally concludes with a scene to set up number six. Of course, it is. We do have a director for that. Do we? For the sixth one? 
Uh, no, for the Bumblebee. Oh, the Bumblebee. Well, that's Travis Knight, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and Kubo and the Two Strings. That's yeah. He's, 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 he's the head I know, but more has come about and we'll talk about it. Have you heard about what he's comparing it to? The Iron Giant. The Iron Giant. Yeah, good luck with that one. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, um, we talk about something so much more amusing and off-kilter now. Yes, let's do that thing. <laughs> this is let's ex- do one of those. This is Edith Walked, right? This is an experimental film. This is a British film. It is, and this is how they advertise. This is how they market it. It is a sixty-minute and sixty-six-second-long film. Nick, isn't that sixty-one minutes and six seconds? But okay, but it's more fun to say about right. One. This has to do with um, you know uh, King Harold and the Battle of Hastings. This has to do with where he's buried and the fact that there is a statue. Uh, located a fair like a hundred miles away, hundred and eight miles, I think, of his wife holding him, and no one really understands why that statue is there. So now they stage a walk. It's, it's apparently it's a tradition. They stage a walk between the two stages, mm. and there's events and folksy things that go on along the way. And this is obviously a documentary that uses Super 8 and iPhone footage and animation to chronicle the things that go on on that walk, and it's very. Wicker Man, very twee, mm. very British and the Dandelions. That is the third time you've used twee. 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 Tweed. tweed. It's almost tweed, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it, it's, one of it's, the, it's so twee, it's tweed. It should come with a... This, seriously, copies of this should be sent out with a wicker picnic basket. Mm. It, it's so quintessentially weird and British in that 70s Summer Isle sense. That <laughs> it's summer just, Isle, Summer Isle, Summer Isle. Yeah, I mean, put it, yeah. it, it, it goes on for about, I think, about 20 minutes before Alan Moore turns up, and then you're like, now it makes sense. That's Christopher Lee in a dress. <laughs> when Alan Moore turns up, you sit there and think, okay, suddenly everything comes into context because if Alan Moore's there, then obviously what I'm, what I, the way I'm seeing this is actually how it's meant to be seen. I interviewed Alan Moore. He is so much fun. <laughs> and the wacky persona that he has really is Alan Moore. There was only one man that could have turned Swamp Thing around in the 80s like he did, and believe me. Um, it's one of those films that you just... If you're a fan of The Wicker Man, for instance, I really see am. this, and this is a film that you just feel like these are the people for whom The Wicker Man was made. These are the real people for whom The Wicker Man is an ideal of life. <laughs> it's really well made. It's bonkers. It is all over the place. It's random. It's incoherent at times. But you know what? It's got charm and it's got this this weird uncompromising tonal sort of sensibility thing i'm in this i know i shouldn't be but i'm in this you know what i mean it's like it's like when your friend brings that bonkers friend of theirs to the pub and you meet them for the first time like i feel like i should hate you but Mm. i don't don't know why you're here but now you're in my life and i'm fine with that yeah exactly that Mm. it's exactly i think in your case that's me but (laughs) quite possibly my wedding when people are like who is that man in that in a fantastic blazer (laughs) someone asked if you were like part of the wedding band i did get asked if i was the wedding singer they're like no i'm just a friend But I'm just a man. A man who knows <laughs> yeah. his fast and furious. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay, final review of uh, of the radio edit then this week. Mm. Summer in the Forest, uh, which is a documentary about French mental patients. 
Cool, because there's not enough of those. Not, not a subject that gets an awful lot of playing documentaries. Right, the idea is you've got, um, you've got a, a group of men who in the 60s were put into old-fashioned asylums uh, because as they were deemed, they were deemed to be what, what the French called idiots. That was the actual French term. Really? That was just idiots. Just idiots. Yes, that was the mentally infirmed in the 60s, a French called idiots. And Okay, so they get put into asylums. And the idea is you had a young, uh, I think it was a Baptist preacher, who came along and said, no, this is barbaric, don't do this. Give them to me and I will treat them. And he staged the very first ever successful uh, legal action to get them transferred into his custody. And you know what he did? What's that? He went to the forest outside of Paris and he set himself up a village. And he just simply gave them all houses and living accommodation, and he lived there with them. Idiot, idiot village. Idiot village, but, uh, yeah. And he still lives with them to this day. He's now really? in his 80s, and they have, they've now created this, this documentation of what's actually gone on there. And this sounds amazing. It is. Right, okay, it does feel an awful lot like, a, like one of those Channel 4 dispatchers. Kind of programs, yeah. You know the ones you see usually for some reason bookended by Jon Snow, but yeah. Um, or whether you get like some Amish kids on <laughs> like Rumspringer and they it, follow them for a week, yeah, exactly right. like that. But you meet the the uh, individual. Uh, I've just typed summer in the summer into, into <laughs> forest in the summer, forest in the summer, summer in the forest. Um, you do get to meet the individual patients, and you get to know them as people, as characters within this story, and they are just they're, they're enchanting. And they have their own little individual sort of uh, quirky personalities that they that the story just runs with. Mm. Um, there's one character, for instance, who his only goal in life is I want to date. There is another who is fixated on the idea that at the, the in his younger years, obviously was during World War Two, and a lot of the mentally infirmed at that point were rounded up by the Nazis mm. and obviously put on the trains, and you know where they wound up. And he constantly visits the memorial. And, and muses on the fact that he wasn't one of them, that he managed to escape. Like, well, okay, wow, that's, that's a level I hadn't considered before. Um, so it's directed by Randall Wright. Um, I think it's actually British-made, but say it's set in France. Um, the preacher himself, I'm trying to find his name, Jean Vanier, uh, he was a young philosopher. There we are. Hmm. He was a young philosopher, not a preacher, sorry, philosopher. Um and uh, so he he actually he speaks English. The the rest of the the sort of uh, the, our, our subject don't. But um, it's a really compelling, really interesting documentary. It goes on a little bit too long. I think it clocks in just ten minutes short of two hours. And you do feel like if it were more on the sort of eighty minute side, seventy eighty minutes, you'd have something that actually would be you know could quite be tidily pared down. That could be put on, for instance, something like Channel Four Dispatches, and that would find a much bit, a much broader audience than this. Well, this deserves to have a better audience than it's going to get, and I think that's I think it's a shame. I think it really deserves to be seen by as many as possible because there is something really charming about it, and its depiction of uh, the rise of these 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 patients and how they've how they've risen against institutional prejudice in in, in the French healthcare system. So mm. I think that's really compelling. That's really something, and I was I was. Really be taken in by it. There's a sequence in which uh, the, the character who just wants a date gets that date, and it's it's absolutely. You, you feel it because I guess you've been following that person. You know journey, what? So. I'm, I'm just going to say it. That dude is a pimp. <laughs> really is. That dude is pimp, and I I could watch an entire documentary simply following about, about his pimpness. I just yeah, that's it. Yeah. I just want to see a documentary in which you know what he just goes speed dating or something. I, I could watch that. <laughs> he is fascinating and also pimp. 
But um, alas, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm going to give it film of the week. It's <laughs> a good way to go out. I mean, for a second, I thought you were going to give it to uh, last night. And not uh, no, you just. Yeah, I'm, we, we, are, we are going to talk about that. We're going to talk more about that. We've got to talk about um, uh, the seasons in Quincy as well in the yeah, podcast the extras, which is from the Derek Jarman lab. So oh, yeah. you kind of know what you're getting with that one. Until the Swinton. Yeah. Ah. Ask yourself, we documentary. You know. uh, right, so, well, we've got some interesting things to come, come next week. Um, well, where to begin, really? Baby Driver. Baby Driver, of course. But that's, I think that's going to be the biggie next week. But it is yeah. blocking... Well, two other high-profile releases. One that's already been panned, which is a biopic about a certain rapper. Oh, yeah, that's next yes. week. Um, All Eyes on Me. The Tupac biopic is next week. Also, and we might have somehow forgotten this, I don't know how, Despicable Me 3 is next week. Yeah, that seems to have weirdly flown under the radar. It has a bit, hasn't it? Which there's, is bizarre. Ads, yeah. But, yeah. Have, have we got The House next week as well? Uh, not getting press shown until after we do this show. Interesting. No. Hmm. Uh, also, Take embargoed until 6am day of release. Still going to see it. Jason Manzoukas is in it. Of course. And Amy Poehler's in it. I That's think fine. you and I... You and I should just go and see that. Let's do that. Let's, let's, let's have that. a cheeky mandate. Let's do a cheeky mandate. We've also got It Comes at Night. <gasps> That's next yeah. week. Looking forward I, to that. I am looking forward to that. Right. Mm. Uh, so you've mentioned Baby Driver. We've got the latest documentary on Julian Assange, Risk next week as well. How many documentaries is that now? On uh, I think I've reviewed three. Hmm. So I'm presuming that means there's nine. Is it going to be like a shared than... universe where then there's, like, <laughs> there's like nine clones of Julius uh, Assange? Uh, apparently, film. All Eyes on Me features the same actor playing Notorious B.I.J. Yes, who played Notorious B.I.J. in Notorious. Notorious yeah. Which means... Which is cool. Oh. Why don't they just get the same guy playing Sugar Knight in all these movies? I was just going to say, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, we've also got cool. Teddy, the cat movie, next week, which is meant to be a big thing for cat lovers. We've got Alone in Berlin with... Uh, is that not Emma Thompson, is it? I forget, but anyway. Mm. Uh, and we've got A Man Called Ove, which I hear very good things about. Yeah, that's been doing around for a long time. Yeah, it's finally getting a release. Yeah. But it about is time. You know, it's literally getting screened straight after Despicable Me 3. Mm. In the meanwhile, uh, well, this has been a Candy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. And I've been Katie Yeager, an inventor. <laughs> We've got the podcast extras to come, so check that out on uh, Acast, uh, Deezer, iTunes. Don't forget to check out the competition section on screenfilm.com. And well, we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras, Ben. Van. Right, th- this is going to be fun because I want to talk more about Transformers. <laughs> of, and, of course, and, you do. I, I feel oh, like there's, of course you there's do. things unsaid. There's, and really? Because you went on for about an hour. In the, <laughs> can I get you put in an hour long edit? You know, 10 years ago. I was really, really excited about there being a Transformers movie. You were young, you were naive. And you did not know any better. I remember seeing the first trailer for the very first Transformers movie, the one that began with uh, the, the piano riff from the beginning of What I've Done by Linkin Park, and had the sequence with uh, Shia LaBeouf being bought the car, and I remember thinking, this actually, this looks really good. Wow, they've realised uh, the idea of a live-action Transformers movie. This is really incredible. I was actually amazed as well that that trailer didn't actually show the Transformers. I don't know if you remember this, but in the initial marketing campaign, they didn't show you the actual Transformers. Mm. It wasn't... It was better time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, wow, I mean, I remember seeing Revenge of the Fallen for the first time and thinking, 
good God, that was a terrible sequel. That was the second one, wasn't it? It was the second one, but I remember thinking, yeah. they'll rein it in for the third one. They've got to. No. And then seeing the third one thinking, oh, okay, we're, we're leaning into this now. I remember the okay. third one being the one where it was like, oh yeah, 3D is a thing now. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. there's, there's a shot where it's like a, it's like a close-up zoom on John Malkovich. Yes. On Malkatraz. And it's just straight up, just straight at his face. Do you remember when they announced that... Transformers uh, Dark of the Moon was going to be in 3D and we all said the same thing which is good god 3D and Michael Bay this is not going to mm. end well and we were all anticipating we were all right <laughs> well if you remember actually we were all surprised when that movie came out that Michael Bay had actually it seems weird to say now slowed himself down slowed his camera work down to actually allow allow your eyes to focus to the 3D was that shot in 3D or was it retro I'm not sure retro. The weird thing oh. is, um, hmm. with, uh, oh, it's not Revenge of the Fallen, uh, the fourth one, uh, fifth one, sorry, uh, last night, yeah. advertisers on its, cam- on its marketing campaign, she says, filmed with IMAX cameras. And there's a really, and you really notice it in the third act, in the big conclusive action scenes, hmm. that the aspect ratio shifts with every shot. Now consider for a second how many shots there are in a Michael Bay movie. At least six. Remember that shot of Liam Neeson scaling the fence and taking three? <laughs> amateur hour, mate. Amateur hour. Compared to Michael how many Bay edits? in an action sequence. How, how many edits does it take to get Liam Neeson over a fence? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they count it as like 12 or 12 yeah. or 16 or something? Something like, yeah. daft like that. Worse in this. But anyway, sorry, we'll get to Transformers. <laughs> right, uh, let me talk about uh, Seasons in Quincy real quick mm. before, before, we, before we go on with some news and I'll do Transformers later. Uh, so Seasons in Quincy, um, which is this is a documentary from the Derek Jarman lab. Now, I'm not sure if this was actually televised because it has a feeling of a BBC4... I thought it was just going to be a like a feature film adaptation of uh, Quincy, the <laughs> TV show that my gran used to love. Well, its full unabridged title is actually Seasons Quincy in... MD. Yeah. <laughs> the Seasons in Quincy, The Four Portraits of John Berger. Hmm. And it is a chronicle of... the Not a chronicle of... A, a, an insight into, initially at least, the relationship between Tilda Swinton and her friend, the writer and broadcaster John Berger, who he's regarded as a legend in his field. Um, the film doesn't particularly give us any expansion or cliff notes as to why... So if you don't know who he is, which I confess I didn't at first, you're kind of going to be left in the lurch on this one. Um, (laughs) Tell you what, we've got a clip here. If I'm a storyteller, it's because I listen. For me, a storyteller, he's like a passer. I mean, that's to say, like somebody who gets contraband across the frontier. (laughs) The last time I'd seen him after a long time apart, he looked at me before speaking for at least two minutes and then told me that my face had grown into itself. Yeah, okay. Um, that, he sounds like a character. He really does. Um, it is one of those... It, it, dear, I, I came away from this film, and you know my first, my first thought was, weirdly, I now am convinced Tilda Swinton, in reality, is the exact person we think she is. You know that artsy, bourgeois performer that we've always suspected she really is at heart? She actually is that. I also didn't realise Tilda Swinton was born in 1960. Really? Yes. Huh. She tells us in this film she was born in 1960. Kind she of looks shares, ageless, doesn't she? She does, doesn't she? Yeah. She is, like, preserved forever. Yeah. Like, she she could be 90. She she is the ancient one. Mm, yeah. She really is. It's pretty... I mean, I don't, I don't really care what you say. She's That's pretty fantastic. Yeah. Actually, really. Um, she's, she's well preserved. Um, she yeah. and John Berger <laughs> share a birthday. 
not the year, but the actual day. Right. But um, and, and this is something we're told early on, and uh, it's very much an insight into the friendship they have, which is they are intellectuals. They 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 respect one another on an intellectual basis to the extent they hang out, and their bonding method is through the fact that they were born on the same day, <laughs> and they just get together and they discuss abstract things. They can. And the problem is the film is split into these four <clears throat> documentaries. So in actually watching this film, you are ostensibly binge watching a show. You are binge watching a four part documentary, and it does feel like you're binge watching a BBC four four part documentary. <clears throat> As a result, there is an incoherence and a lack of through line that the film ultimately leaves you feeling maybe it would have been better in a traditional documentary style. Maybe Berger is such a character that would have benefited from a more coherent, more ordinary style, maybe a less artistically inclined, a less off-kilter way of looking at it would have done him some wonders. Having said that, Swinton and Berger himself both bring enough charm to it that you actually sit there and think, you know what, it is like, it's just like having a particularly enchanting conversation, albeit one in which I don't really understand half of what you're talking about, (laughs) because I zoned out for a minute there and now I've lost the whole conversation. It is one of those. I mean, it looks pretty. And, you know, it's it's got its little bourgeois quirks here and there. But you are binge-watching a programme when you should be watching an, a, a more uh, linear documentary, and I feel like it suffers for that. But uh, So, news me up. What you got for me? You will be amused. I will be amused. Yeah, that will be a fourth triple X. Or, as I said to you off-air, quadruple X. Quadruple X. Yeah. And... Well, isn't this, this, this yeah, it's an investment company, isn't it, that's decided to start buying into films? They've decided to fund 10 oh, films at once. And uh, Wow. Oh, is this uh, the H Collective? That's it, the H Which, Collective. That, that sounds like what the villain is going to be called. It does, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Also, how do you form an organisation known as the H Collective and not hire Paul Levesque? Mm. I mean, the guy has three H's. I mean, come on, <laughs> man. <laughs> three, three, three H's. Three X's. There you <laughs> exactly. Go. Come on. Also, <laughs> meant to be Triple H in a in a Triple X movie. That that works. Oh man, yeah, it could just be like some guy's henchman. Or can I just start the muscle? campaign here to get John Cena to be the villain? I really. How think is that... John Cena not? How did he not show up in the last one? I don't know. John Cena just needs his own franchise. He's he, on, he he's does. own good franchise. He does, yeah. what, what, what was that? What was that one? He was. He had like his own action franchise as well. Like the Street Marine. TV. The Marine. Yeah. The Marine with the Eric Marine. Roberts as the villain. Because it was a film, so of course I was <laughs> because, in it. Yeah. Because dot, 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 film. Yeah. Oh, speaking of dot, 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 dog's purpose, man. We've got to talk about that. Yes. So, dog's... Is, is it a dog it's or the dog? It's a dog. Yeah. A dog, apostrophe S, purpose. He's getting a sequel. Yes. Do you yes. know why? China. 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 Yep. Do you know how much money, money it made? It made something like uh, 60 mil in the US. In China, it made 88. Really? Yeah. And, yeah, you've got to imagine that film didn't really cost a lot to produce. No, it was fairly compact in terms yeah. of its budget. I mean, apart from, you know, all like, the, like, lawsuits and... All the lawsuits. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot of kibble. Uh, I mean, they had to, <laughs> they had to outfit the entire uh, production staff with Nerf tennis ball blasters. Mm. Um, I think the only reason that Lassie Holstrom got that job is because his first name is Lassie. Lassie. Well, I don't know. He has his own little trilogy racking up, doesn't he? Could we work out that he'd done Hatchy as well? Oh, yeah, he did do Hatchy. <clears throat> he did Hatchy. Hatchy and so it's become like the shared dog universe. And there's another one. Is he going to do a live action All uh, Dogs Go to Heaven? What is the other one he did? What, another dog film? He did another dog film. It's after uh, there's Hatchy. There's Hatchy something is else. the Richard Gere one, isn't it? Hatchy is the Richard Gere one with the husky. 
Husky, I think. Yeah. But Lassie Halstrom did a third uh, dog movie. It's bugging me now. It's going to annoy the hell out I'll of me. I'll find it. Don't worry about it. It's all good. If I find it first, I win. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Uh, no, I can't find it, can't find it, can't find it. No, I really can't. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, My Life as a Dog. There you go. <clears throat> that was him as well? That was him as well, yeah. He directed a life, My Life as a Dog, Hatchie a Dog's Tale. That was 1985 as well. I know. And now a dog purpose. Cuts. To which you now sit there and think, wow, okay, we've, we've already completed the trilogy. Let's just pad that box set out. He has had an eclectic <laughs> he really has, career, hasn't he? Has he? <laughs> <laughs> God, lassie. <laughs> What were I thinking? <clears throat> did he did he make? Oh, we also did uh, Sam fishing in the Yemen as well. So yeah, maybe he's moving on to to fish. Yeah, yeah fish this. next. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's just ticking off all the animals one by one until he's gone through the ark. <laughs> yeah, do you think that like God approached him? In, uh... <laughs> exactly. You shall be you shall be my animal emissary on <laughs> earth. You shall make three films of each animal. <laughs> <laughs> three by three, they shall enter the pantheon of cinema. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we are terrible he people. He made uh, making. Uh, well, what else he do? What's eating Gilbert great, man? <laughs> so he's taking on fruits as well. <laughs> What's eating Gilbert ape? Oh, oh. that's oh, terrible. Wow, that was awful. I'm going to see how many, how many more I can turn into bad animal puns. Oh, by the way, films that we yes. uh, films that we we didn't talk about. Um, we haven't talked about this week. I'm not sure if. We could feasibly do a review, but we should save it for next week. Right, Oakja is out next Wednesday. Yes, so we're going to be reviewing it. So shall we review it next week? We'll review it proper next week. I've not watched it yet. Okay. But I will, because um, I can't wait. You're right, you actually have the facility, by the way, to actually watch it. I know, right I, um, I just don't have the time until right now. So, I, I mean, I'll just say in advance, it is very, very good. Yeah, well, well I think there was, there was no doubt. There was no doubt. No, no, no. There was yeah. never, never speculation. A getting booed at Cannes. Because it was a Netflix film. Now, the weird thing is, the Netflix logo got booed at Cannes. The actual film got an applause. Mm, interesting. Yes, funny why, that. Why were they hating on a company that gives... So much joy to people? Yeah, because they're French. Not just that, gives filmmakers that wouldn't have necessarily been able to get to the budget or funding a budget and funding. Because they're French? Let's go with that. Mm. But uh, Okay, can I talk about uh, the least needed reboot ever? Um, yes. All right. So, um... <laughs> The earlier, well, late Are last we week. making my dinner with Andre? <laughs> Finally. Oh, man. But, like... I feel like they should, but like only, an action version. only if they can hire Andre Agassi. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Andre Agassi could have maybe transitioned into acting. <laughs> True. I, it's going to be Pat Noswell instead of Wally Shawn this time. <laughs> oh, because that's who you get, definitely. It totally is, isn't yeah. it? Pat right. Noswell is the new Wally Shawn. Oh, he is, totally, yeah. yeah. Um, right, so last end of last week, beginning of this week... Um, <laughs> Kevin Feige was asked by uh, a French uh, film outlet about future additions to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh, yes. Right. Very yeah. specifically, he was asked about the Fantastic Four because that series at Fox was declared defunct, basically. Mm. And he said, there are no plans whatsoever <laughs> to incorporate the Fantastic Four into the Marvel Cinematic Universe because Fox owned them and really they don't want to give them back. Yeah. And stop asking me this stop question. Stop asking. I don't care. Go away. We have characters that you don't even know that you want to see on a cinema screen, but we're going to give you... Exactly. ...like Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> you are so having a Howard the Duck movie, and you will like it. Yeah. 
By the way, your mother dresses you funny. You know, one of those things. Uh, right, so you can imagine then the timing that it has now come to light that Fox have hired Seth Graham Smith to write, and I quote, a kid-friendly reboot of the Fantastic Four. When did this get published? Because I did not hear this. About this morning. Ah, that'll be why, because I was too busy getting over the mm. Star Wars news. Yeah. A huh. kid, right, here's where it gets funnier. Aye. It's going to be from the perspective of two characters who we've not seen in cinema yet. Franklin and Valeria Richards. Reed Richards and Sue Storm's kids. And apparently is going to be in line with The Incredibles. So, yeah. And it's going to be live action? Live action. Right. Make of that what you will. So in in this, Reed Richards will still have... The, yeah, yeah they've all got the powers. But, yeah. but, but the kids will have powers. The kids do have powers, yeah. I forget what those powers are offhand. But have, have, they, have they said what, what powers? Uh, they have powers in the comics. I can't remember what they are offhand, but uh, right. the, the kids have been in the comics for oh, right. decades. So they, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've, they've been a part of the series for years. But, uh, yeah, so you're getting fantastic. And you're actually getting the family years, finally, as well, which is... At least that's a different take on it. Hmm. So, I mean, you can't, you can't like... Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Do we need it? <laughs> I'm trying to be positive and I can't. My only question at this point is, doing a third attempt at the Fantastic Four mm. in 12 years, does that beat Spider-Man for the same? No, I don't think it does. When was first Spider-Man was 2003, was it? Two. 2002. Oh, the next attempt to reboot it was in 2012, which was 10 years. And right. now, obviously, we've got Homecoming in 2017. 2017. So it's been... Are we counting <clears throat> Civil War, though? Because, obviously... That was last year. Uh, that was ca- I wasn't yeah. counting Civil War, no. But that, that is technically... Yeah, yeah, technically Friday. is. So so you got to count that. Should we say Spider-Man holds a record, then, for well, we'll still short get, time to reboot? Still, still get to Pete. Okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Yeah. I don't know. I'll I'll go I'll go see pretty much any superhero film. There is a rumor on that note, by the way, that in the wake of their firing from Han Solo, that uh, Lord Miller will be returning to the Flash. Really? Yes. That would be an ultimate. That would be a bit of a middle yeah, finger, wouldn't that would it? Be We've gone fully from Disney to DC. Yes. Yeah. That that would make sense. Yeah, I, I, I could see it happening, and also it's the only way I would be excited by a movie about the Flash. Do you know what would be interesting, though? They would, if, put, the, they would put the multiverse in it. Yeah. The, those those that, two that would. Be, that would be great. Lord and Miller would multiverse the hell out of the Flash. Do you know what would work better? Yeah, that. Don't get Ron Howard. Get Bob Zemeckis to do the Han Solo film. Oh, God, imagine that. Just swap sides. That would be incredible. Actually, funny you mention Robert Zemeckis, because that's... When I came out of Book of Henry, that's who I thought should have directed that film. <laughs> Really? I looked at it and I thought, I feel like ten years ago, Michelle Pfeiffer would have been the mum and Robert mm. Zemeckis would have directed this film. And it would Yeah, that makes sense. And you would have had like Haley Joel Osment as the as the kid. And it would have been uh, it would have gone more more in the direction of creepy than mm. twee and cute. Do you uh, think that Jacob Tremblay is the new Haley Joel Osment? Or would you say that he's more like the new baby Leo? Ooh, I don't know. Because I was having this chat with someone a while ago, and I yeah. think that, you know, we've, we've always got the thing of saying, yeah. like, Tom Hanks is the new Jimmy Stewart. Isabel Huppert is the French Meryl Streep. Yeah, Tom Hardy is the new Oliver Stone, if he ever... Not, not, Oliver Stone? Not Oliver Stone, Oliver, Oliver Reed. Oliver Reed yeah, oh, say, okay. If he ever develops a drinking problem. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's a recovering alcoholic, isn't he? 
Oh, is yeah, he? Yeah, Tom Hardy is a recovering recovering alcoholic and drug addict, I believe. All right, so he's one bottle of Jack Daniels from becoming a new Oliver Reed. Yeah, well, mind you, Oliver Reed at different times was a recovering alcoholic. That's a good point. Just depended on the day, where day of the week yeah. you asked him. I think... Uh, Depended on how some of his future films pan out, mm. I think the Jeffrey Tramblay could be a new new Beverly Leo. Y- you have just reminded me there is a superhero story involving Kevin Feige and Tom Hardy. We need to discuss. Oh yeah, this kind of dropped last week as well. Yeah, this was the very end, wasn't it? Over the sort of over the weekend. Yeah, we talk about uh, the Amy Pascal interview. <laughs> yes. Right. Right, you, you, you drop it on me, come on. I'll drop it on. Okay, so as we all know, uh, Tom Hardy was tapped to play Venom, which is, that, that kind of took us all by surprise. It did. And then it got a, direc- a director who was... Um, Ruben Flash. Ruben Flash, yeah. Yeah, who did uh, Zombieland. The Gangster Squad. That I absolutely detested. Which one? Gangster Squad? Gangster Squad. Okay, okay, I think you say Zombieland. Zombieland is great. Because I'll fight <laughs> I, will, I will fight you right now. <laughs> and I will fight you. For a Twinkie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was the one? Uh, 30 Minutes or Less. Which was, all, was okay. It wasn't him that directed American Ultra, was it? Uh, no. No, okay. Who directed that? Oh, I think. Max Landis wrote it. Max Landis wrote it, and... No. Forget who directed it. I knew there was something unsettling and unlikable about the film. It's because mm. Max Landis wrote it, yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry. It, yeah, Boom Flash was um, tapped to direct. They are shooting it pretty soon. Mm. Oh, it's, it's got a release date of, like... It's mad. Is it's, it November 2018? It's October, I think. October. But oh, even so, it's October. Got... Silver and Black is meant to be out in November. Yeah. Uh, they, they have got a director for that, though. Yes. I've forgotten the lady's name. But, oh, yeah. yeah, I do. It's a double barrel now. An- another lady director, which is yeah, amazing. Great. It's a super film. Um, yeah, so uh, Amy Pascal's obviously been... Uh, Amy Pascal's the former head of Sony, who is now a producer on all these movies, which yes. only exists because of the whole... Uh, she was at the centre of the whole Sony hacking yes. thing around the time of the interview yeah. a while ago. Which when all the amazing Spider-Man 2 plans and the responses <laughs> yeah. to it came out. Came out, yeah, exactly. Um, she was uh, doing some kind of... I don't know what was she being interviewed for. Homecoming. This is just for homecoming. She's being interviewed for Spider-Man: Homecoming because she's yeah. a producer on there. Well, she has uh, been teasing a connection between Venom and Homecoming. <laughs> yes. Well, so, actually, no, no, not even Homecoming. Not even just Homecoming. Just all of the Spider-Verse. <laughs> no. Oh wow, you don't have this full story. Okay, you, brace yourself. All of the MCU. Yes. Ah. They are. And this is how she phrased it. Oh, our films are adjuncts to the to the MCU. They're not directly in it, but they're not not in it. They're adjuncts. Right. So there's nothing to stop Tom Holland turning up in our films. Someone then went and asked Kevin Feige. What did he say? <laughs> no. <laughs> I think mostly there was eye-rolling, a brief sigh, and then just a fleeing from the building screaming. But no is the short answer. They are not part of the MCU. Quite a scandalous week. For, but, for films. I feel like Kevin Feige just lives in a world in which people say things about him and his work that they have never bothered to check with him about. Yeah. It's like, you all know I'm good at this. Yeah. Leave me yeah. to... And you know the people, best part? People say about other studios that they need a me. They need a Kevin Yeah, <laughs> People say they need a Feige. Why don't you listen to your Feige? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, this is the thing. This We knew this was going to happen. We knew the minute that Marvel said, Sony... You are free to make your own Spider-Man related stuff. You you know that that you have a great time. You you distribute the Spider-Man movies that we will make for you, mm. but you know you don't get any you, Avengers. You, you stuff. Put, That's fine. You put up a cost. You will receive money for that, so you can make other films. Exactly. Everyone's a winner. Also, is anyone at this point under any delusion whatsoever that the script for Venom and Silver and Black are not scripts left over from the Amazing Spider-Man Two era? How do, do we know this for sure? Because no one has I said don't know. Otherwise. I didn't even really think about it. Well, those scripts existed. 
I mean, I've got mm-hmm. money here and now that we get a Sinister Six movie announced any day now. Oh, absolutely. We, we totally will. And it will be the same exact script of Alex I think if, if we're getting a Black Cat and Silver Sable film, <laughs> we will certainly be getting well, the setup for a female Spider-Verse. <laughs> I'm not against that. Uh, oh, because it's just who they get for it. The thing is, once you start getting into the female Spider-Verse, and you wind up with some weak characters. So, uh, you, yeah. you wind up with some really just uninteresting mm. characters. I mean, you, there's a couple of great ones, but yeah. you wind up it's with It's just like really you've got to look at the materials and see if it is actually worth doing. Like, Gotham City Sirens, I don't think the film's going to be particularly good, but those are strong characters. They are, yeah. And also, yeah. there's enough... I'm, I'm only basing that on how Suicide Squad turned out for me. <laughs> well, let's be honest. After Suicide Squad, the idea of doing a Gotham City Sirens movie yeah. feels like it is really, really aimed squarely at the 15-year-old boy who occasionally shops, shops a Hot Topic kind of a crowd. Yeah. It, it, Calvin, yeah. it's basically aimed at our friend Calvin. Mm. That is that's basically that's aimed at. It's aimed at a guy who has many statues of various scantily clad female characters. Pretty much him. Well, Harlequin was one of the best things about Suicide Squad. Really low bar, for honest. Yeah. Really mm. low bar. You can genuinely say that... Probably uh, once. Deadshot. Who's the guy that played Rick Flagg? Joel, you can you can actually say that Joel Kinnaman was one of the best. Things Joel Kinnaman slash Jai Courtney slash <laughs> Sam Worthington. Oh man, uh, there's just there's just so much awfulness. By the way, we've not talked. To, there's a story we've not talked about. Um, First Man, the the Damien Chazelle moon landing movie. Oh, has it got? <gasps> you didn't know this? No, I obviously knew that that film was coming out, and I knew that Ryan Gosling is playing Neil Armstrong. Yep. I love that it was called uh, First, First Man. Man. Based on the book of the same name. Yeah. Yep. I've just seen who has joined the cast. Right. I need this film right now. Right. Here's one you're going to love. First of all... Who, who are they? Hang right. on. Don't tell me. Okay. Don't tell me. Yeah. Is one of those guys playing Buzz? Yep. Which one? Corey Stoll. <laughs> Corey Stoll yes. is going to be Buzz Aldrin. And that is incredible. I'm trying to remember the name of the guy that Kyle Chandler is going to play. Is, is it Deke? Uh, hang oh, on. Deke yeah. Slayton, the yes. test pilot who became one of the original is it Mercury 7. And Oh, yeah. come on. That's amazing. Yeah, it's getting good, isn't it? Uh, it's October next year we're going to get this. It's apparently, how, how long is it going to be until J.K. Simmons is announced as the, like, the voice of Houston? I know. Yeah. I know, right? I mean, technically, it should always be Ed Harris. If you're going to get anyone to be the I commander just, of Houston, it's always I, Ed I, Harris. I feel like there's just a button. Like, there is just a button. Well, Ed Harris button. You know those Amazon buttons that you can get? Yeah. Like, you press it and it orders Purcell for you. Mm. And you have to get them specific to each. But I feel like there's one of those for, JK, uh, for Ed Harris to be a NASA controller. Mm. And different directors have them. They just keep them in a jar on their desk. And it's like a little glass cube. And it's in case of emergency or in case of mission control requirement break glass and you break the glass you press the button Ed Harris shows up with the waistcoat and <laughs> and that amazing hairstyle amazing buzz cut yeah, yeah. and that, that's what you get did I tell you when I was a kid um, that was one of my favourite films mm. and uh, I thought that Ed Harris's character was actually called Houston <laughs> <laughs> I was like just listen to Houston <laughs> oh yeah. man but no, no, that, that's absolutely... We oh, that the, is great. The, yeah, apparently as well, I didn't realise this, the, the film is not just going to be the story of the moon landing. Mm. It's going to be the eight years leading up to the Apollo 11 mission as well. Okay. So it's a full-blown chronicle. It's taking through... I mean, I can't wait for this. This is going to be that awesome. That sounds amazing. I mean, that is basically ripe for Oscars, isn't it? 
That's. I mean, we could live in a world where Corey Stoll gets nominated for an Oscar. Live in a world where Carl Chandler gets nominated for an Oscar. That's amazing. No, no, he doesn't get to be Cable, but he does get the man gold. Yeah, I still think he would have been amazing as Cable. <laughs> but I just got to show you this. I don't know if you caught this one. I did. I did see about this. Yeah, because apparently um, something else ticked Jada Jada Pinkett off, and uh, well, you know what she's like. She gets in a mood. <sighs> Let's it be known to the world. <laughs> yep, and she goes and boycotts the Oscars, and everyone's like, "Great, you want to invite her?" And Aunt Viv's like, eh, "Who gives, man?" <laughs> Which Aunt Viv? <laughs> First Aunt Viv. First Aunt Viv's like Jada. Who? <laughs> <laughs> the one true Aunt Viv. <laughs> the one true Aunt Viv. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, Jada Pinkett. Um, evidently at some point last weekend saw the two-pack movie All Eyes on Me. Mm. Which is not at the best notices. I mean, it's we... It's not, no. You, well, you are seeing it next week. I'm seeing it Monday morning, yeah. Monday morning, then we will be talking about it on Wednesday. Um, I'm still going to say it just because I'm a fan of Tupac. And also, the, the guy playing him, apparently he is really good. Apparently he is, yeah. Also, the woman who's playing Jada Pinkett in the movie, because this mm. is something I'd forgotten somehow, that Jada Pinkett was actually close friends with yes. Tupac. Mm. I think, in my head, I just, over the years, just assumed she was his girlfriend. Apparently yeah. not. They were just platonic friends. And they had their ups and downs in the fridge. And she apparently has taken issue with the film for pretty much inventing certain events. Yeah, they invent sort of like a conflict between yeah. them. They, they have invented yeah. stuff that she's not happy about, but she has praised the performances. Hmm. So, one of your boys is uh, is back in the film news again? Yes. Poe Dameron himself, man. With Gandhi. With Gandhi. Poe Dameron cool. and Gandhi. Poe Gandhi. The film is Gandhi 2. <laughs> Gandhi 2. This time it's personal. <laughs> I mean, where, where can you go from first where Gandhi? Where can you go from the first Gandhi? That, that film ends. I don't know. I feel like with the storied history of Indian politics, there's an awful lot you could do with a Gandhi sequel. Because, mm. well, his daughter became a politician. So That's true. You actually could do... Who would you who would you cast... This is a weird question. Who would you cast as Gandhi's daughter? Priyanka Chopra, dog. Of course you would. <laughs> Who were we talking about when we said, who do you get? I and mean, then you said, G-Man Honsu. It was Seal, wasn't it? Yes. Do you remember that? <laughs> G-Man Honsu. Who do you get to play Seal in a film? G-Man Honsu. I still want... You I, don't get anyone I still want Seal to release you know, a, a, an album of dance tracks entitled Clubbing Seals. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my dream album. But yeah. no, uh, Ben Kingsley and Oscar <laughs> Isaac are going to start in Chris White's uh, new film for Universal. He's doing a thriller, mm. which is about the hunt for Adolf Eichmann. Eichmann. The hunt for and the trial of Adolf Eichmann. Kingsley's going to be Adolf Eichmann. That's good casting. So, just to put that in perspective for you, he's gone from his role in Schindler's List to playing Adolf Eichmann. Mm. Wow. It's on the other side of the table. On com- complete flip side of that coin, Oscar Isaac is going to be the Mossad agent who brings him down. I like that. I'm in. Yeah. I'm I'll, in. I'll watch him do anything. Well, this is apparently, this is, this is set in 60s Argentina, where the real events took place. Um, and, and the Mossad sort of managed to hunt him down yeah. in, in Argentina and finally bring him to justice. Where is Oscar Isaac's Oscar? <laughs> That's a what a question. Where's Oscar Isaac's Oscar? Where is Oscar's Oscar? In front of him, man. Uh, right, we didn't talk about some pretty big news that happened last week. An announcement of a film that has been rumoured, and when it was rumoured, we were all like, why? Because the last one sucked. Uh, this is uh, X-Men uh, Dark Phoenix. Oh, God, So yeah. let's talk about it, because it's, it's, it's news. It's definitely it definite news. news. Yeah. 
we've talked about it. It's um, yeah, it's filming pretty soon. They're getting the cast back together. They are strange, which is yeah. like how much money have Fox got? That, that a big, just a big old, big old like yeah, pelican case full yeah. of full of bills, man. Because every, everyone, everyone felt an apocalypse. So <laughs> it just felt like no one really wanted to be there. No, that, that, that core trio. I mean, James McAvoy was giving it all he's got, but. Fastbender was like, I've done this three times now. Just give me my money. <laughs> just give me a check, dog. Yeah, and, um, uh, and you could just you could just feel the sense of just like Jennifer apathy, Lawrence felt. Really? Yeah, she felt apathetic, didn't yeah. she? She just did not want to be there. Yeah, and you could tell with the very few times that she was actually playing Mystique. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence's yeah, face in, for in Mystique, most uh, of most of that movie was yeah, like you often. when I'm talking about Transformers. Mm. Yeah, and. Yeah. Um, you just bored and lifeless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, um, Dark Phoenix is happening because apparently someone liked uh, Jean Grey in the last and film. Apparently, I we're getting Jessica was... Chastain for this one. Yeah, apparently, Je- uh, that's great. You, you can get her because she's amazing, but she's going to be the villain. Let, let's remember that this is a series that got Oscar Isaac for their last villain mm. and then did Nafal with him. And also, as much as I love Jessica Chastain, she did say yes to. The Snow White Huntsman sequel. Yeah. Huntsman. What was it yeah. called again? Winter's uh, War? Was that Winter's Boar? Winter's Boar, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Winter's Boar. Or Winter's Snow, as I kept saying. Winter's Snow, that one works too. Uh, and the director is going to be the producer, Simon Kinberg. This is first, first time oh. uh, directing a film. So you realise this means, historically, in the two iterations of the X-Men franchise, mm. that is now twice that Brian Singer has set up and then vacated before the actual realisation of the Dark Phoenix saga. Yep. Wow. Okay, then. Well, I mean, it's it's an iconic arc, isn't it? It's an iconic arc, and he's always been obsessed with doing it, yeah. which is why I find it really amusing he's not going to do it again. Why didn't they just do it for the last one? And I, then have, I don't know anymore. have Apocalypse to be this one. Well, and actually take, you know, some time instead of just rushing into it. I just, you know, I, I find myself wondering if this is going to be that occasion when they finally give Jubilee a line of dialogue. Mm. <laughs> I mean, she had one yet? I don't know. Didn't we actually shoot some Jubilee scenes? For the they they cast her. They actually cast they, her. They cast her. They shot things, and then it just they shot. Over. They shot. They cast her. They shot it. She features in several scenes. Yeah, and she still seemingly has no dot. I mean, she's treated worse than Colossus is by that series. Yeah. I mean, I think did I count at one point? He had four lines of dialogue in a whole series. Yeah, but also until Deadpool. Yeah, exactly. I was yeah. just going to say until Deadpool Colossal finally shows gave up him in, uh, and he's Russian. Yes. Yeah. Very true. But mind you, we knew that his name is. Is it Fal? Is- Vladimir, I can't remember. Grigory, I can't remember what is Russian. Peter, Peter Grigory something is yes. is his name in it. I think he might be like Peter Rasputin or something. But he actually has like a <laughs> Cause classical. Because you can't get much Russian. I know that. he actually has like a classical Russian yeah. famous person's name. Rava Rasputin. Um, so Godzilla Two has now started has filming. It? Yeah, oh. um, we've got the full cast list, which we've spoken about in a previous. Uh, Edition, yeah, uh, it all sounds really good. Now they've released the full premise for it. Have and they? Yeah, Ooh, this is news. Got laid on me. I've not seen it. I'm going to talk about it because they fall out. Just say we're going to give you Rodan. Oh man, we're going to give you Mothra. Oh man, and his ultimate nemesis, the three-headed uh, king. I don't know how to pronounce oh. it. What is it? Yeah, I, and if I see it written down, I can pronounce. It. I can't remember. Yeah, it's apparently. a G H I Geodara. Oh, Ghidorah. Ghidorah, yeah. Yeah, um, no Mechagodzilla, though. That still saddens me. Mechagodzilla is my favourite Godzilla villain. Mm. And, well, I mean, I'm a fan of, I'm a fan of Megashark versus Mecha Shark yeah, because sure. Mecha anything works for me. <laughs> Mecha Hitler. 
<laughs> Isn't that a movie? I'm sure that's I think so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, that sounds awesome. That sounds good, yeah. I'm in for that. I want to talk about the uh, the Ferguson movie. Warner Brothers are doing a Ferguson movie. Oh, of course, yeah. Of course they are. Yeah. Um, it's going to be it's going to be based on the memoir of uh, Michael Brown's mother. Uh, what's her name? Leslie McSpadden. Uh, she's written the novel uh, Tell the Truth and Shame the Devil, which is the memoir of everything that took Whoa, place. That is, what that a, title. Is a title. I know. Uh, right. Here's the thing. They haven't got... They've got no talent on board for this. And they have... Um, they, they've apparently got it in mind. They want, they want, and this is the quote, which I think is a little bit cynical. The quote is, we want a writer of colour to inject their perspective into it. Which, like, okay. It's based on material written by a black woman. I mean, you know, I think you've already got the perspective there, but okay. They apparently are aiming for something like Crash. To which you think, I feel like trying to shoehorn that into a story about Ferguson might be over-egging the pudding slightly. Why would anybody ever aim for something like Crash? We, we are talking about the... Oscar winning. The Oscar one, not the good one. Not the good one. Not not the good Cronenberg one. That's a weird juxtaposition to say. (laughs) We're going for Oscar winning one, not the really good one. Exactly. Not the really good one by Cronenberg, no. Yeah. But. uh, Right, uh, so some news has just broken about a film that we have just been talking about like a few minutes ago. What's that? Uh, So going back to Venom. Yeah. We have a villain. Do we? Not an actor. But we have a character, and I mean, of course, we're going to use this character. It's carnage, isn't it? Yes. Oh man. So, so Edward Norton's going to call. Or? That's who you get. That's who you get. That's who you get. Although I, I can't see Edward Norton Although, ever, ever signing on to a superhero. I'm film. just going to put it out there because he hasn't done a Marvel film, but he has done a DC one. Michael Shannon. That'd imagine, be great. Imagine that'd be great. Yeah. Tom Hardy v Michael Shannon. That's a movie I'd see. Well, he was courted to be Cable. I mean, it was so yeah. was every single actor of a certain age at one point. But um, <laughs> he'd be he'd be good. He'd be really good. Um, oh oh oh! Uh, Duke Nukem. I got to talk about that. Apparently, uh, we might actually finally be getting a Duke Nukem movie. Twenty years on from the birth of that series, that's amazing. And well, you get Kurt Russell, and then you just use the same movie. There was makeup effects, really, wasn't it? It wasn't even visual effects in Guardians of the Galaxy. They turned out a lot of that was actually makeup. Because he's that handsome a man. He is. He's that. I watched Backdraft this last week. I finally I got need to rewatch Backdraft. Oh man, it, hot damn! What a movie. Backdraft again was one of my favorite films as a kid. I yeah. rewatched it about four years ago with my wife. Hmm. And do you know when you just like revisit a film that you used yeah, to love, yeah, yeah. and sometimes you just like huh, nostalgia just ain't saving this one. <laughs> but then I was talking to someone a while ago, and they were saying about like how much they enjoyed it, and they. Yeah, oh, I'd forgotten it was, was a Ron Howard movie. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I didn't know I'd forgotten Ron Howard no, I was... Get back into it. I always forget that uh, Keeper's dad is in it as well. Yes, he's the psycho mm. arsonist dude, isn't he? Yes, yeah. he is. The, the incarcerated fire expert. Yeah. Did the animal look at you? <laughs> and it's got uh, uh, the Liam Hemsworth of, uh, of Baldwin. Yes, it? Liam Hemsworth and, and that hairdo. Yes. Because, Wow. But uh, yeah, how awesome is Kurt Russell? One of my oh, he's amazing. In a so song. good, isn't he? yeah. And he's a dude who can as well. Yeah, I mean, that's that. a dude who can live on a boat in a car park and still be cool. <laughs> yeah. he, well, he is Captain Ron. And years that's later, they will borrow that idea for uh, the, the Cougar Town. Yes, they borrow um, that idea for Cougar Town. One, years of, later. one of my friends once described uh, the fire in that film as having a personality. I think that's part of the story, isn't it? Because it, it sounds like it's like talking at one point. Really, like, <laughs> it, it like goes through a door and it's like <sighs> that movie was the set. The set pieces in that movie though are so good. Mm. But, uh, it, it definitely deserves a rewatch. Actually, it does. Yeah, but yeah, Kurt Russell as as uh, Duke Nukem that would be amazing. Um, I actually <laughs> twenty think, odd years ago. <laughs> uh, I actually think though, in a weird way, Tom Hardy could uh, could kind of could kind of pull it off. I I'm. 
I think everyone needs to up their game a little bit. When you, you know, when we just like have this conversation about who would you cast, who would you cast. Mm. I feel like Jaws the Shark. Someone will say Tom Hardy. You know, he's, he's kind of he's become that Ben Affleck. I actually think go to it, it's just like just get Tom Hardy for it. I actually think that's a film. Get my, my, my ideal casting for for Duke Nukem. You're gonna think I'm nuts mm. because he's a little too clean cut. Army Hammer. No. no. No, but along those lines-ish, mm. okay, you're thinking in the right zone. I think if you could get him to play the grizzly aside, if you could scruffy him up just enough, Chris Pratt, hear me, hear me out, I think it would work. Mm. I, could, I could actually see that working. It's that look that he's always got on his face. But then how will we be uh, able to play uh, Snake Plissken? <laughs> true. <laughs> so basically, what we're looking for is a Kurt Russell type. So, Gerard Butler to be Duke Nukem. No. No? Because <laughs> he was going to be Snake at one point. He was, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I feel like that could work. Oh, oh I think, hang on. I think if you're going to go really silly with it, get John Cena. No, no, no. I know. Carl Urban. Carl Urban yeah. is Duke Nukem. Come on, that one sells itself. Do you know what's a really, really bad film that I really enjoy? You're going to say Priest, aren't you? I'm going to say Doom. Doom. I yeah. rewatched that recently. I I kind of weirdly like it as well. Yeah. I just... I like the twist of uh, yeah. The Rock being the baddie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's less a twist. It's more of just a late-in-the-day oh, development, oh, yeah. isn't it? Just, yeah. It just happens. It just happens, but... It's a thing. I do like yeah. it. I, I refuse to believe ever that Carl Urban and Rosamund Pike could ever convincingly be siblings, but... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you want to meet the DNA that concocted that combination, mm. don't you? But, uh, yeah, a weird one. Oh, did you see the Daddy's Home 2 trailer, by the way? I did. Let's discuss, because I feel like you loved it. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. I mean, Mel Gibson as Paul Berg's dad. Yeah. John Lithgow as Will Ferrell's dad. That's, that was the casting for me in particular that was just like, wow, that's, yeah. that's good. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. I, I love John Lithgow. I wish he was in... Did you see him in Dexter a few years ago when he was the villain in Dexter? Yes. So... And, and he says about one word, but you never thought you would ever hear John Lithgow say. Yeah. Yes. He's like, shut up. Creepy word. as hell, wasn't yeah, it? But it also is. weirdly charming. Yeah, because it's John Lithgow and everyone loves John Lithgow. Yeah. The yeah. lovable man. He's Dick Solomon, damn it. Mm. But uh... even, even Harry loves him when he tells him to like... Just go, get out. <laughs> that was pretty good, Donifka. What's a bit? Oh no, we've got like, some uh, interesting animation coming out this year. There's, we've got uh, Coco towards yeah. the end of the year. We've got. Have you seen? There's a, a Frozen short that's being put before Coco. Oh, is that the film? Is that the short going before Olaf's Coco? Frozen yeah. Adventure? That or sucks. I know. I, I I always wanted to just be like an original short. Yeah, let it be its yeah. own thing. But... Unless it's one of the Toy Story shorts. The, the Toy Story tunes, aren't they called, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. I, I found those uh, Those quite, have quite found their way to TV now, though, haven't they? They have, yeah, because there was, there was an audience for them, absolutely. But I think if, if you're going to be doing one of like the Pixar originals and it's not going to be a sequel, get, get a really cool short film in front. Well, the funny thing is, um, Book of mm. Life has obviously got a sequel announced this last week. Yeah, do you know what? I, I do like that film. By coincidence, Book of Life was on TV over the weekend. I think it was on strange, Channel 4 yeah. over the weekend. I thought, well, what are the odds? Mm. It's a very strange thing. But Book of Life, which was this wonderfully quirky... Was that where they were computer animated to, to be made to look like they were carved out of wood, the yes. characters? And it had the brilliant sequence where the bullfighter character... <clears throat> Not the bullfighter character, the, the weedy musician character mm. sat in the bullfighting ring playing Creep by Radiohead. Yes, and there was, was loads of like popular yeah, songs. Beautiful yeah. moment. I loved that. 
And that was Diego Luna, apparently. Yes, it was. I had no idea. And then the matador is uh, Channing Tate. Channing Tate. Channing Tate. I call him Channing Tate Yum. <laughs> 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 but uh, oh man, don't! Uh, I was already I was already reminded of uh, this is the end on the on the drive over. I was listening to Backstreet's back in the car. Oh, I love that end sequence. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, yeah, I think a few people have uh, kind of been uh, poo pooing on uh, Coco a little bit because obviously the similarity to Book of Life and saying oh. Book of Life did it, did it first. And Actually, one of our on-screen writers went down to a special presentation of footage from Coco this week oh, really? and had a Q&A with the director and the producers. Uh, Lee Unkridge, yes. who did uh, Toy Story 3. Yes. He's, he's kind of, he's part of the brain trust, isn't no, we he? We actually sent one of our writers to do that this week, so we have yeah. to have a report for him next week. But, um, yeah, uh, one of the directors from Book of Life has said, it's fine, bring it on. Like, not in a competitive kind of way, hmm. just like, it's good, but... Uh, animators are looking at this area of the world and making films about it. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's like it's, it's a rising tide kind of a situation. Well, there's a lot of the sort of in the Spanish culture that sort of lends itself, you know, in the sort of in the Spanish culture and its mythology that lends itself to animated fare mm. because it's the only way to realize the big old canvas. It's a lot like Oriental mythology Absolutely. where you just sit and think a lot of Eastern Oriental mythology mm. works better in animation. Oh man, if we can get more films like Kubo. Oh man, imagine that. That, that's the world I want to live that in. That might be my favourite animated film of the last five years. Really? Yeah. I, that's, that, that's I, I went back and re I loved it first time I saw it at the cinema. And um, just watching it at home. Well, we have got an anime film, another film I forgot to include for next week. Um, and I, we've got an anime film next week that oh, really? I think is going to enchant you. <laughs> it, is, it, right. is, it is called In This Corner of the World. Mm. And it is best described as a coming of age story in Hiroshima. Oh. Yeah. So okay. imagine what that might entail. And if I tell you, you probably will cry. Yeah. But not for <laughs> the reasons cry. you think. Ah. So, okay, let's let's talk about the clean clean version initiative. Yeah, maybe we should have been talking about this earlier, because this is a big thing, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people annoyed. <laughs> Do you have to have not a happy bunny? <laughs> <laughs> How stupid do you have to be to announce that you are going to tinker with 24 films and then forget to ask any of the people who made them? Mm. That kind of seems like the stuff you do on day one, doesn't it? <laughs> this kind of seems like a Sony idea. <laughs> <laughs> it does, doesn't it? This, You know, actually, the MCU adjunct thing kind of makes a degree of sense now, doesn't it? Because if they forget to ask a director if they can then sell edited copies I of mean, their films... that adjunct thing sounds like a Kellyanne Conway statement. Really does, doesn't it? Yeah. It really does. These are alternative versions. <laughs> <laughs> These are alternative versions. But yes, the Clean Version Initiative, which was going to release these swearing-free, violence-free, sexu- sexuality-free versions of films, which, let's be honest, are basically aimed at aircrafts and middle America. Mm. Um, well, it turns out directors aren't happy about that. Oh. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it seems like they kind of have to just make peace with the edits for, like, airplanes and stuff. Mm. It's kind of fair enough. It's par for the course. But doing it for, like... Doing it for retail purposes. Yeah, no, that's... Yeah. Well, the Director's Guild kind of kicked off about it. The yeah, Director's Guild turned like around so. and said, actually, you're not allowed to do that unless you allow your directors to actually re-edit them themselves first. That's the only way you're allowed to do it. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, so we should say... Apparently, the DGA wants to take it a step further and wants them to pull all the releases and assign them one by one once they have the clearance of the directors. So... Okay. (laughs) Uh, I have some news about uh, Dunkirk. Ooh, what is it? Yeah, the news is it's pretty brisk. 
Yeah, I saw Pretty this. Sure. I was, I was, I was literally talking to Warner Brothers this morning about yeah. the screening. I said, "Can I come to the screening?" That's interesting, isn't and, it? That's, um, yeah, is it an hour forty-five? Uh, very close. Uh, an hour forty-seven. That is basically on. Has there yeah. ever been a Chris Bell movie? That's essentially short? a short. Yes, but it was uh, uh, following, which is an hour and seven minutes. How long is Memento? Six minutes uh, longer. Than, oh, okay. Than Dunkirk. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't know why. I always felt like Memento was 90 minutes, but... Uh, it doesn't feel doesn't long. Feel like, it, yeah, no, it doesn't feel long. I think it's be- because it's of the so way it's just like kind yeah. of tight and compact. And uh, I think for this kind of film, I think that is a perfect runtime. Yeah, I think so. Because you see World War II and Christopher Nolan, and you think, that is going to last yeah. three weeks. It's going to be bomb-numbingly long. It's going to be bombarding your senses. Yeah. You feel like it's going to be an ordeal. But it's, it's not just that. It's it's supposed to be short and fast and we're getting people out of that situation. Yeah. Want it to just, actually, yeah. yeah, I feel like there's a meta-commentary at work there because it's Christopher Nolan. Yeah. So... Oh, uh, so a film sequel news I wanted to talk about mm. was uh, this was never a theatrical release. It got a one night screening, I believe. There was a film called Batman: Return of the Caped Crusaders. Yes, I heard about this. Right. Uh, Ralph Garman was involved in. Some of way. course, he was because if it involved Adam West, it had to involve. <laughs> they were very good friends, and I <laughs> I listened to uh, his eulogy of him on Hollow Babylon. It was it was very good. I would imagine he did that documentary with him, didn't he? Yeah. Um, starring Adam West, it was called. He did, yeah, and he 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 got him a star on Walk of Fame, yeah. Star, yeah. Well, it's, I, I do feel like there, there needed to be a Family Guy scene at some point, which Adam, Mayor Adam West was walking around his mansion at night, opened a cupboard, and Ralph Garman was there. Closed it, opened another cupboard, and Ralph Garman was there. I feel like that was a gag that needed to be in Family Guy <laughs> at some point. But uh, anyway, so there was Return of the Cake Crusaders, in which Burt Ward and Adam West returned to voice animated versions of Batman and Robin. And uh, Julie Newmar came back as Catwoman. And it was a whole Batman versus the film thing, but it was set in the continuity of the 60s Batman. Mm. And it was brilliant. It was so much quirky, hokey fun. But they then decided, based on the success of it, because it was more or less a for DVD title, they were going to do a sequel. It was going to be called Batman vs. Two-Face, mm. because Two-Face never got done in the 60s. Two-Face, it was decided not to do Two-Face in the 60s, because the character was too inherently dark. So it Makes wouldn't sense. have worked. I actually can kind of see it having worked in the 60s, because the corniness of the coin flip. Well, William Shatner is your voice of Two-Face. That's great. Yes. And it's now been revealed... However, that film is going to be, like, four hours long because of all the pauses oh, between. <laughs> but it's now been revealed that... Uh, Adam Who knows West... which side this coin will land on? <laughs> Heads or tails. <laughs> and, uh, well, that's it. Adam West has apparently, prior to his death, he had completed his work on the film. Oh, right. So it will be getting released. It will get a full release. It's in its entirety. We, we do great. get to see it. And that is the final... I can think of no finer tribute to the life of Adam West than his mm. final work actually being Batman. a, a 60s set Batman yeah. story. That's, no, that's, that's, that's great. pretty great. I'm all yeah. for that. That's brilliant. But uh, oh, what else have we got? Uh, Conjuring spin-off because it's a week ending in. Oh Sunday. yeah, this is yeah. Uh, uh, the Creepy Man. <laughs> a creeping kid. For my film. The film. The Crooked, the crooked kid. kid. <laughs> well, this is The Crooked Man. Oh, Crooked Man. This is Crooked I'm Man. I'm still going to call it For my film. film. The Crooked the Man. Because <laughs> we we're getting The Nun. We're getting The Nun. Well, we're getting Annabelle 2 in six weeks' time. That's had some decent noises. Yeah. Did anyone like Annabelle? That's the part that amazes me. I, I didn't see it. I mean, the thing I was just like me. The only reason I'm interested in Annabelle 2 is because it stars Demi and Bashir. 
and I will watch Demi and Bashir open a mailbox for two mm. hours. He's great. He's great. He is great. He should have been calm. Anyway, um... <gasps> that would have been amazing. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? Yeah. Imagine Khan played by Demi... Wow. Mexican. <laughs> My name is Khan. Mexican. <laughs> well, so the the, uh, the Conjuring spin-off we're now going to get after The Nun, it seems, is The Crooked Man. Uh, I don't know who's directing The Crooked Man of Ham, but I know The the Nun... I don't think they've announced yet. Well, The Nun is going to be... Uh, Colin Hardy. Corin Hardy, yes. Mm. Yeah, supposed to be doing The Crow. Supposed to be doing The Crow. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. No, we're never going to see a crow. Give, give me a tenner. I'll just make it. I feel like it'd be about as good, to be honest. Mm. But So, uh, we're getting a John Wick prequel. That's a, well, not a prequel, sorry. A, oh, a side the, call. The TV spin-off. The yeah. TV spin-off, yeah. Oh, let's talk about some TV shows a bit. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Right, okay. But let's talk John Wick one. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, the, the Continental is going to be a TV series set in the world of John Wick. I like that set, title. It's good, isn't it? Mm. Set around the idea of the hotel and the Somali, uh, the Somalier and uh, yeah. uh, the, the you know the concierge and all the services that John Wick uses in the film. Sarah Finnewitz going to be in it. Well, that's the thing. Mm. I wonder why you'd get Sarah Finnewitz for that one moment in John Wick Two, because yes. it does feel like you might have him for something more, unless it was just going to be a bigger role in the second one. But because of the way that it, a bigger one, third one, not seeing the end of, of number two yet. Right, but given. The way that the third, what the second one concludes, you feel like they won't be revisiting Italy and that whole aspect in number three anyway. But never mind. So right. it just because you have no idea where the third one's going to be set because it, obviously it looks like it's going to be set somewhere entirely new, and you have no idea where, and you know it's not going to particularly revisit certain aspects of it. So I don't think Sarah Finnewich will be coming about the third one. But the TV series looks like that might have been why. Hmm. And there are other cast members that you think okay. But uh, do you think we'll get Franco Nero back? Oh, I think so. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Anyway. I still love the idea that you cast Franco Nero to be the alternative Ian McShane. <laughs> like, really? So McShane's our British one, Nero's our Italian <laughs> one. They basically look like the same guy now. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, so TV shows. Um, we're going to be getting um, Watchmen as a TV show. Fair. For HBO. Fair. I'd, I'd go no, with that. It's not TV. It's HBO. It's not TV, it's HBO. That's going to be brought to us by Damon Lindelof. Uh, I always, like, change how I talk whenever I say Damon Lindelof. I met Damon Lindelof years ago. I'm sure he's a really nice dude. He was a very nice man. I met him for some film he'd written, and for the life of me... It was Tomorrowland. Thank you. It was bugging the hell out of me. It was Tomorrowland. Mm. And the film where you've got, like, this little button, you press it, you end up in, like, Norwich or... (laughs) (laughs) Now, I'll tell you what, that's a movie I want to see. I want to see George Clooney in Norwich. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I remember when I was at uni in Newport and the Ryder Cup was in Newport. Oh, yeah? And there was loads of just, like, crazy rumours that, like, George Clooney had come for Ryder Cup. <laughs> and because he was here, just, like, his his people had shut down, like, all of Tesco. And he was just, like, in Tesco by himself. That is and so goddamn Samuel weird. Jackson was actually in Newport for Ryder Cup, because obviously he's a big fan of, of golf. Yes, yes, he's he's made his, uh, his predilection for the sport very known. Mm. And but, said uh, he will never golf with Donald Trump, even though... He has. Well, oh no, it was the way around, wasn't it? Donald Trump said, "I will never golf with Sam Jackson," and Sam Jackson said, "He's a famous black dude." We we have actually golfed. <laughs> anyway, do you want to hear what some other people have said about uh, Transformers? The last night. Okay, go on, because I want to go through some this, of my this, thoughts. This is go quite on. fun. Uh, so uh, Adam Woodward from uh, Little White Lies. Yeah. Two words. 
insultingly poor. I'd go with that. I would agree with that, yeah. Um, someone from the New York Post says, uh, watching an actor of Hopkins' caliber swear it's his robo-butler and attempt to uh, ring out laughs by uttering the word dude is painful, even for a Transformers movie. Yeah, no, that's very true. Yeah, what's some other ones? <laughs> uh, someone just says, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. Another one just says, yep. avoid at all costs. That's yeah. Uh, is another huge understandable. is another a huge pyrotechnic porno that leaves a metallic taste in your mouth. Mm. Yeah, these are these are pretty great. Shall I shall I take you through them? Do it right. Okay. So, like I say, we, we, we're we're a decade in. We're four films in, and there is a moment that opens the film. So you get the big King Arthur, you know, opening. But then, and you've you'll seen this if you if you've seen the trailer. There's a moment where uh, they threaten to actually pull the rug out from under the Transformers audience once and for all, like we've been building to this. And it feels like for five whole minutes that they're finally going to take this series, which is adapted from a kid's toy line, and finally focus on and aim it at, would you believe, kids. And they do this by way of a setup that, uh, again, this is the the trailer moment where you see Isabella Mona and four young boys. And you think, oh my God, are they finally going to go Stranger Things with this? Because that's a movie I'd be interested in seeing. Like, an actual Transformers movie that deals with children in this world. That's fascinating. You know, because then you wind up with less, you know, jumpy, jumpy, I've got a, you know, big space gun kind of thing. I mean, remember the last movie, Mott Warburg had a space gun slash sword. Yes. And, yeah. We, we devolved into that. This might finally be the one that deals with kids. No, 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 no. Five minutes, you're done, and then we're back to Wahlberg, and, and yeah, and you feel like, okay, so it's more of the same. And they make no compunction at any point to, to really reassure you that this is going to go anywhere different, even when they start introducing the whole National Treasure storyline, which, as I've said, is the only point at which it becomes vaguely enjoyable. And, no, there is nothing even close to Nicolas Cage's bangers and mash moment. <laughs> you know, nothing like that. Even though you do get to hear Mark Wahlberg do an English actor. Oh, oh. Academy Award-winning actor. Academy yeah. Award-winning Cage. actor, Sir Nicholas of Cage. Right. It is amazing to me that it has taken a film series with the budget, scope, and high profile of the Transformers series. Five films to get around to the idea of... Let's have a female character with any sense of agency. Mm. And even then, that is a sense of agency that does get put paid to with the addition of, you know, actually, we've not really seen Mark Wahlberg mac on a chick yet in this series, so y'all could uh, up the cleavage factor a bit, you know, get him in there. I'd uh, be appreciated. Thank you. And, yeah, so they add that. Um, I'll say it is one of the series' better installments. Provided you are already grading this series on a very extremely charitable curve. How would you compare it to the other ones? So where would you rank it? I still think the, the only half-decent one of the entire lot was the first one. I don't even think that. I think everyone is deluded by just saying the first one is in any way good. I'm, I, I, I'm talking comparatively. I am talking about The first one is abysmal. But... Yeah. Up, up with the sentence that people always say to me, or, or at least used to say when I was working at the cinema, they always used to say, I don't really like 3D films, apart from Avatar. Avatar was great. Oh. I've heard that sentence so many times. And the other sentence I've heard was, yeah, Transformers films rubbish. He was apart the- from the first one, I always really like the first one. People have said that so many times to me. Well, do you know why people think they like the first Transformers movie? 
It's, it's very strange. It's very strange to say this about an Some kind of, of, like, robo-brain slug. No, it's because the first Transformers movie is the only one of the entire series that you can remember the actual plot of. That's why. If that. Because the he, plot he gets back a car. then... He gets a car. That's it. But the plot back then in the first one was actually so simplistic and straightforward mm. that in comparison, it looks downright primitive. Right. And as such, weirdly becomes the only half-decent one of the lot because it's the only one with a storyline you can actually coherently follow. This comes somewhat close at times, but then keeps falling back on the... Uh, you know, here's a robot butler singing Ludicrous. And here's Anthony Hopkins saying, dude. <laughs> you know, here's this week's token American cable TV comedy, uh, you know, name that we've picked up off Twitter. And we're going to cast him in the film for five minutes. Like TJ Miller was last yeah. time. Yeah, who, who was it this time? I forget. You have to look this up for me. Look this up for me because African-American comedian, I can't remember his name. Um, faintly amusing for five minutes. Doesn't have any of the stuff to do that T.J. Miller did, because at least... God, he I remember that T.J. Miller scene just being bizarre. Well, TJ, didn't T.J. Miller get to do the whole Romeo and Juliet clause moment? Um, possibly. I'm, I'm sure he got it. I remember but. he dies, but then there's, like, there's a minute worth of close-ups of just him being this weird statue character. Oh, no, they burn him to death. Yeah. I thought they burnt T.J. Miller to death. Yeah, but he's just, like, kind of stubbed there like a statue. Yeah. I mean, the other thing is, you watch this film, so much of it is relied on this, this incoherent Michael Bay style of car chase sequences, and... Strangely enough, the large-scale destruction of what always appeared to be conveniently deserted locales. Like, every time they drive into a town and start smashing it up, or they drive into a city, it always happens to be strangely devoid of people. Mm. You do oh, find- it's uh, uh, Jared uh, Carmichael. That's it, thank you. He does the Jared Carmichael show, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Mark Wahlberg, in The Last Night, is basically offering up what can only be described as a second round of um, shouty bewilderment, we shall say. Because that's all he did in the last one. Mm. Only this time, he's doing it with what appears to be a Reese Witherspoon hairstyle. And and I'm not the... Hey, Wahlberg himself has said it. Mm. Wahlberg himself has pointed out, I worked out for five months to get in shape, and then I showed up and they gave me this stupid haircut, this ridiculous haircut. Um, Laura Haddock, the first developed, fully developed, fully realised female character in a Transformers movie. With the most English name I've ever heard. Yeah, I know. Vivian Wembley. Thank you. What? Right, I want to point out, and her name, interestingly enough... Something called, like, Stacey Essex. Right. There is a point at which Optimus Prime says the words, everything now is dependent on you, Vivian. Now, I want to point out that he says those words by my count seven or eight minutes after his reintroduction into the narrative, and prior to anybody at any point saying the words, oh, hey, Optimus, this is Vivian. So, yeah, okay. This is a movie that thinks you can drive from Chicago to Arizona in half an hour. Mm. This is a movie that thinks Glastonbury is just down the road from London. This is a movie <laughs> that genuinely asks you... Oh, don't, don't we go to uh, Stonehenge? Yes, yeah. I do. Oh, the, the, the third act, is, it revolves around Stonehenge, for reasons I'm sure you can guess. But, uh, yeah, oh, they, they try to explain, by the way, the existence of Stonehenge and what it all means in, in the world. Um... My, it offers up Michael Bay's idea of a history professor being someone who basically talks like the narrator of a Fifty Shades audiobook. Mm. Um, it has a cameo from Rebecca Front, which might be the definition of sacrilege. Who? Rebecca Front from The Thick of It. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. As Laura Haddock's mum. Mum or aunt. Okay. In a sequence that asks, in a children's film, to explain the definition of the term BBW and then go on a tirade about the merits, the pros and cons of same-sex female relationships and how cool and trendy they are. It is a film that chops and changes between bizarre IMAX aspect ratios. It is a film in which characters, human and alien, legitimately, and I'm not exaggerating, spend more time skidding and sliding on their asses than they do walking upright. It is a movie in which the only entertaining story aspect comes by way of half-inching elements of one of this century's better Nicolas Cage movies. I mean, seriously? This is a near $200 million international mega-franchise? I mean, seriously. Mega franchise or mecha franchise. <laughs> exactly. I mean, right, here's the thing. This is referred to, I, I'm reliably told, I'm sure you know this, as Bayhem. This, yes, yeah. I've, I've heard this right, many times. Right. Bayhem is what you call this kind of incoherent, cybernetically enhanced carnage. Mm. Now, two points on that. Right. The film revolves around Bayhem. Right. I'll get, I, I can't help but think that the reason that term exists is because, one... The fetishization and pornographization of what's formerly a children's series is frankly too much of a mouthful and doesn't make for a good acronym. That's why we have the term mayhem. I'm sure that's it. The other thing is, to describe it as anything that required longer to say aloud than mayhem is doing the film a credit it does not deserve. It is giving it more creative input than the entire film actually has. This has four writers on it. Jeez. Actually has four writers, and you cannot... For the life of you, figure out what any of them can contribute in any creative way. The film, before you even get to the traditional Paramount logo, incidentally, opens with a black screen, the Transformers font, and a list of Chinese funding bodies. I'm not making that up. Sounds worse than the last one. Yeah, this actually exists. A screen of what look like Mm. Chinese banking offshoots are just listed before you. And then you get the film. You're like, okay, this might go somewhere to explaining why, in a sequence set in the Arizona Badlands, Isabella Mona, a 15-year-old American actress, in a sequence set and filmed in America, is sat, coincidentally, drinking Chinese milk. Um, by the way, dear listener, um, this hasn't actually been Van talking this whole time. Uh, this has been a really like angry vein of Van's, which has <laughs> burst out of his head with teeth and a full full mouth and like the ability to talk, and just started to rant as well. Van Van was ranting in the in the like initial review, and uh, this is just Van's angry vein that I'm just going to refer to it as now. I mean, is it still alive? It's still alive. It's, it's still moving. It's still talking. It's bewildering to me. It's yep. it's astonishing. I know. Right, still going. You you have friends with kids, right? Uh, yeah. Right. Do, yeah. do do you have any friends with kids who are fans of the Transformers series? Um, uh, no, I don't think so. I actually do. I actually have friends who have sort of ten year old kids. I, I have who... I have friends who are flat out fans of these films of the Transformers films. Oh, okay. Right. Actual adult friends. Yeah, you you know them. You've met you've met them. Hang on, who? My. Uh, my friend Alex. Oh, okay. We, he and I need to have a conversation at some mm. point. But, um, but then again, I don't. I don't think he would ever like classify himself as a fan of the films. Mm. I think he, he quite enjoys the first one, but he can just enjoy the explosions and enjoy the CGI ness yeah. of it all. That's and the thing. That's, yeah, like I envy people that can do that. I, I wish I had that yeah. ability. I don't want to sound really patronising when I say that, and I feel like I do a little bit. No, in, I in think a way, we have but... we have too good a taste. I mean, it's it's a film that. 
it seems to appeal only to outside of children, misguided children. It seems to only be aimed at the sort of habitually lobotomized. Hmm. It, it's, I mean, same. My friend's ten-year-old son genuinely thinks the films are good. Hmm. Genuinely thinks. I mean, to be fair, he thinks the same. The Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Okay, and that's what it comes down to for me. The Transformers series is matched only in in theory anyway is matched only by the by the pirate series in terms of which of these needs to be carrying on less and mm. um, you tend to think it's the pirate series but in actuality you know when you lay it down on paper and well, actually when you get to and you see an, a, a new transformers movie you do then sit there and think actually no because the transformers series has this this <clears throat> weird underlying feeling throughout that it's actually being quite contemptful of anyone watching it. You feel like, when you're watching these films, that they actually hate you. They actually <laughs> aggressively dislike you for watching it. They want you to suffer. I'm, I'm not, they want your money. They want your money, but they really, really want to make you work for having given them that money. That, that's what it feels like. It feels like they hate you, but they want your money... And they're not going to give you an inch. That's why they're going to make you sit there for nothing short of two hours and 20 minutes. You are going to suffer. You are going to have to work for every inch you get, you gain towards the end credits of that series. End credits, incidentally, come you know after the obvious setup for a sequel, which seems to be the, the done thing. Hmm. I mean, the other thing is, do you remember when these used to at least have the decency to end with the Linkin Park track? Yeah, and they won't even do that because Linkin Park have now gone pop. Have they? Mm-hmm. The new album yeah. is a pop album. Oh. Which is fine. You can do that if you want, Chester. I don't mind. That, that's fine. I mean, do, any word on if he's going to be involved in you know, a potential Crank 3 or the Rebirth of the Saw series yet? Cause... Oh, Chester. Yeah. <laughs> Quite possibly. <clears throat> it's Chester, isn't it, who did... Chester Bennington. Did Chester do Saw and Crank? Uh, he's in Crank? Both Cranks. He's, he's, he's definitely in Saw 7, I want to say. Yes. yes. He's in both Crank movies. Is he? Yes. In the first movie, he's the guy that tells Jason Statham that you can get the uh, you can get adrenaline from eye drops. Right, he's the guy that tells him that, and then I forget who he is in the second. God, I need to watch those films again. Oh, I love Crank. Yeah. We were supposedly at one point going to get a third one starring Idris Elba because he starred what in, instead of Statham with Statham. I'm not sure if it was with or instead of. Oh, we need that. Because he worked with those directors on Ghost Rider Ghost Two. Ghost Rider Two, yeah, yeah. That's and it was straight after Spirit that they declared that we were going to get a Crank Three. Man, um, I still think it could happen, but they, they don't really work together anymore. Neville Lee and Taylor. No, no, no. That's what's wrong with the world. No, Neville Lee and Taylor can't together. get together. I don't, care, I don't care about the Gallagher brothers not being together. Just give me back my Neville Lee and Taylor. <laughs> Just give me some more crank. You knew where you stood with Neville Lee and Taylor. I feel, I feel like I am like Chef Chelios, but instead of adrenaline, I just need more of those films. Every time we say Chef Chelios, you know what? You know what? I want to shout, don't you? <laughs> yeah, fudge you, Chelios. <laughs> <laughs> fudge you, good. <laughs> oh, I love those movies. I still want to watch them. In fact, that's what I'm going to do tonight. Anyway, um, I have no more news, but I do have an overwhelming desire for coffee. That that sounds like me. So um, I think on that note, since we've already mentioned how uh, his his films have been, you know, pillaged for the benefit of the Transformers, mm. do you want to queue up our boy? Yes, I do. Here it is, your moments of cage. It's hard to talk about the war because uh, whenever you do, you name it, you know, and it loses its mystery. And it's so important for you to have your own relationship with the work. The work speaks for itself, you know. But I do think that things evolve and come into focus. And, and sometimes you can play with things that, uh, or, or stereotypes that people may have. 
like there is a mischievous mind at work on the wicker man you know yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean but and i finally kind of said yeah i i might have known that that movie was meant to be absurd you know but saying that now after the fact is okay but to say it before the fact is not you know because like you gotta let the, the, the movie have its own life you know you have to let the audience have its own connection and, and bash it or not bash it or love it or whatever they want to do with it that's up to the audience